Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And I'm back in the driver's seat this week. I am uh, I'm oh, running the boring. show. I'm choosing the songs. Boring. And, I, and I am, I'm not listening to Mary's uh, young, youthful value judgments. Although, I would like to say... Yes, Mary. ...that, Dad, yeah. you're a copycat. Why do you say that? Because you just took all my songs I... and put them on this mix. <laughs> There's a, oh, it's kind of funny. When I went to... Uh, when we... When I listened to your first, when I listened to your mix, and then I was mm-hmm. looking ahead at what we were going to be doing, yeah. I was like, Uh-oh. "There's like three songs on here <laughs> that were on my mix." <laughs> I know. I think uh, we won't ha- we won't hear them all in one go, though. Thank no. goodness. I think I think two of them are piled on next week, so I know we have one at least in this. I think uh, we have two. Really? I think so. Oh well. Anyway, I think it's two next week, but it's our next episode. But that's fine. It's fine, Mary. You know, they're all good right. songs, so people don't mind hearing them over and over again. Over. And over again. True. And I'm sure that we're going to bring our own particular, uh, you know, ideas and opinions to each song. So that's interesting enough anyway. So hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's listening party. Thank you for joining us here in uh, Fabulous Stew Stew Studio, the studio that never stops being stewing? a studio. Never stops stewing. That's true. We've always got crockpots going. It's always fuming in here. Making some stew. Yeah, it's very, um, <laughs> so, all the windows are like fogged up. It's always scowling. It always smells like beef. <laughs> <laughs> um mary yeah chicken update mm, yes we had another raccoon attack i heard but this was a weird one because it was in broad daylight yeah talking talk about uh what gall yeah that's how we lost one of the chickens at camp yeah was it a broad daylight attack mm-hmm. by a raccoon yeah wow. that's how the king died oh the chicken was named the king the chicken was named the king Why was he, he was the biggest the male oh he was, the he biggest was male. like in charge okay for sure did he wear a crown Mm, no, but he had like a really big comb. Did he have an ermine gown that he would, or cape that he no, would trail behind him? No, but as he, he would peck Fatty a lot. <laughs> she had like a big bald patch under her wing. Oh, really? It was there until she died. Oh. It just like never grew back. Did she die from being fretted to death by a king? No, she died. She had a bunch of maggots in her butt. Oh. Remember? Remember no. that? I don't remember that. And then she was like wearing uh, a, and I brought her home and she was wearing like a diaper. Remember that? She was like around in the backyard and she was, I made like a diaper for her out of vet wrap. Oh. So that, that to like keep waste out of her, uh, out of her, this big hole that yeah. was next to her vent. Okay. Okay. Cause I guess she got like a cut and then I got like infected cause yeah. it was next to her vent. Oh, okay. Which is where they poop out of and yeah. like eggs out of. And so it was full of maggots. Ugh. And so I like pulled all these maggots out of there individually. <laughs> It was real bad. It was like a really bad day, week. <laughs> ah, and then what a start to I a show, everyone. It was, I yep. thought she was better, and yep. then I was like, I had left her on island because I, I thought that she was better. Yeah. And then Duncan and I were seeing a movie, mm. and I got a phone call, and it was like she's she died, and I was like, oh, oh, that's too bad. So that sucked. Um, we had just seen Baby Driver. Oh, is that what you saw? Mm-hmm. Gee. I know, but it was okay because it was the second time I'd seen it. <laughs> so it didn't like ruin the movie for me it was an okay movie i thought it was good mm. i liked it i thought it was okay okay that's i do like to your opinion i do like edgar wright's sty- stylistic choices but i just thought the story overall was so so all right 
Anyway. Yeah. Mary. Yes. Yes. Father. Guess, guess what? Um. Um. Mm. <laughs> it was more of a rhetorical question. You didn't really have see. to guess, but since you decided to do so, uh, I'll let you make a guess here. Okay. Hmm. Um, you miss Eve because she's house sitting for the next month. That is true. I do miss Eve. Yeah. I do. I've, I'm missing my daughters not being around the house. That's yeah. true. But you know what? I'm glad you guys feel confident enough to f- spread your wings and fly. Just like those chickens. And like a chicken who can't fly that far. I just saw the chicken fly from. She just like flew across the window. Oh, really? Yeah. She just like was like flop, 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 just like right across the window. I don't know where from, okay. where to. Well, also but... one of our chickens escaped oh. from the from our backyard and was <laughs> And found... ended up in the pound. <laughs> she went to pound. dog, she went to doggy jail, <laughs> but she's a chicken. She went to, do- which apparently they don't like, they don't like livestock at the, uh, the people who work there don't like at livestock because they don't know what to do with it. Um. It's hard to put a collar on a chicken and take it for a walk. Can I just say? Yeah. At the animal control that I worked at, which yeah. was in a different city than yes. the one that you live in, yes. um, we really liked getting livestock. Really? Because why? Because they're funny. Because <laughs> they're funny to have. And usually people don't collect them. Yeah. So usually staff take them home. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. So, so yes, yeah, so your mom did go and collect our chicken yeah. from there. But what's nice is because they don't know what to do with them, they don't charge us for them. Yeah, because there's no there's no bylaws about chickens. Oh, really? I looked it up yeah. after after I saw that because if you do not know this, animal control is um, is bylaw yeah. enforced. Yeah. It is not. There are not um, like uh, countrywide laws related to animal control. It differs by municipality or uh, regional district. Yeah. So. It's bylaw enforced. Okay. So it's enforced like by the city. So that's the same people who, well, not the same people, but it's like the same governing body that deal with um, garbage pickup, parking, um, noise pollution, noise pollution. um, Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Okay. And they usually do like park maintenance too. So that's all under the same umbrella. Okay. So they're usually animal, animal control is usually employed by that same group of people. Another fact about animal control that people do not often know is that we don't want your dog. We don't want it. People will often accuse animal control officers of stealing dogs from their backyard. Oh, really? Which is not true because we don't want your dog. No? Because I was working in the kennel for a while before I worked in the office. Yeah. And we don't want to take care of your dog. (laughs) It takes up space. We have to feed it. We have to clean up its poop. We have to wash its like blankets and its toys because all the dogs get blankets and toys in yeah. the room, right? Yeah. To keep them occupied. We don't want to. Um, and then, you know, if you don't pick it up, then we have to vaccinate it. We have to get it neutered or spayed. We have to take it on walks. We have to um, adopt it out. Okay. And that's so much work and it's so much money. Yeah. And none of that money gets like recouped yeah. by animal control. Yeah. Right. They're usually shelling out like 10 times as much money as they're like charging for an animal. Sure. Because usually when you adopt an animal locally, you're only paying a couple hundred dollars for it. And that includes um, microchip, neuter or spay. And um, usually it includes a year's um, license as well. Okay. For the dog. And an owner's manual. And an owner's manual. No, not usually. And a warranty. Yeah, a warranty. Well, usually you do get a, a warranty of sorts. Okay. Like, usually there's a foster to adopt period. 
And then also you have to sign an agreement that says if you choose to get rid of the dog, you will return it to animal control. Okay. Okay. Rather than like selling it or, you know, surrendering it to the SPCA or turning it loose on a on a country road. Yeah. Okay. Which we don't want. Yeah. No one, no one wants that. Yeah. Uh, what if you um, refurbish it, you know, like update its kitchen, mm-hmm. put yep. in a new bathroom. Can yep. you then flip it on the market? No. Oh. Is it the same dog? Yeah. No. Oh, that's no good. Yeah. Um, and nice thing about microchips is it's permanent identification, so we will know if it's the same dog. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. That's good. So, but by the chicken ending up at the the animal shelter, yeah, it got its wings clipped. Oh. So they clipped its wings, so one of the chickens can't actually fly very far. Oh. So that's good. No, it's good. If they want, if they're going to run away, we no, can't it's have true. that. You're we don't right. want chickens running around outside. Which which one was it? Was it the one with the bigger comb? I don't know. There's a picture of it in, in the truck driving back, but I don't know. Oh, yeah. Know. I'll have to look at that. Yeah, I'll we'll have to look at that later. Because I'm looking at the, I was looking at them today, and they look pretty different now. Mm-hmm. One has, like, quite a bigger comb. Yeah, yeah. But she's not co- she's not crowing, right? Yeah, and she's not a rooster. She doesn't, ha- she doesn't have any kind of rooster. She's probably just the boss. Yeah? Is that what happens? They grow a comb if they're the boss? I think so. Wow. Huh. Yeah. I just thought or, it was an antenna for the radio. Yep, that too. She's a big fan of the radio. Whereas <laughs> the other one is like, um, I prefer nature. <laughs> The one's like, um, I use Spotify. I don't listen to the radio. <laughs> wow, modern. Yeah. Um, I know I went in two separate directions there. You but... did. You went all over the place. Yeah. Thanks for thanks yeah. for riffing. Nah, yeah, I don't know. I'm doing my best here. <laughs> um, so, Dad, what wow, what are we doing here? Are we talking about chickens? Is this a no, chicken? we're not talking about chickens. Is this is a chicken podcast. This is well. This is, is kind this of a podcast where I uh, I if inform people about misinformation about animal control <laughs> that's right thank you for clearing clearing those yeah, questions people no problem. so no this is uh actually I'm just, this i'm just saying animal control is not the enemy okay control your dog you know <laughs> yeah that's if it's uh, enemy control if, if you want uh control is your enemy yes so no this is you know actually mary it's kind of funny this is mm. our one and this will be our own one and only repeat episode what because do you mean? i have done this episode before you, In fact, I've done this whole mixtape before. What do you mean? Because I did it as a, as a Sneaky Dragon episode. Well, then let's skip it. Let's do another one. No, no. I want want you to be part of it. Mm, okay. It's too late anyway. I never did All the right. notes. I, did, I didn't really do great notes for that one because I, I did one whole mix CD in one episode of Sneaky Dragon. Because what happened was... You didn't have me jabbering on, <laughs> taking right up a bunch of time, <laughs> talking about control. chickens, exactly. etc. <laughs> That's right. There's a total lack of jabber in that episode. Mm. Well, no, what happened was, uh, it was Thursday, which is normally our, our recording day for Sneaky Dragon. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Ian had received some bad news about, about their cat. Oh, yeah. And he just did not feel up to doing a show. That's fair. And I said, that's fine. And then I was kind of thinking, well, I guess we'll miss the show this week. And then when I got home, I was thinking about it, and I thought, oh, I wonder, maybe I'll just play one of the mixtapes that I did, mm-hmm. and people can hear it, mm-hmm. and I'll talk about the music, mm-hmm. and that will fill a couple hours. Right. And so I just I texted Ian and asked if he would be okay with me doing the show by myself, and he said, oh, that's fine. And so I did. And so I used this mixtape that we're going to do now mm-hmm. uh, for an episode of Sneaky Dragon. Why but, this one? Um, I think because I just finished it or maybe it was just at hand hmm. or i liked it i don't really know why i just chose it you randomly just, like closed your eyes and pointed at the oh no i know list. why okay. i know why it's because i like the person who i made the tape for who, who is it oh, it's a person named mike davidson okay who's very kind and had sent me a gift Aww, in the mail i don't nice. want to say what the gift was because i just don't want people to think that that's the only reason i did it but it was just such a kind gesture right and he was a big fan of completely beatles hmm. and so he had sent me this gift and i really appreciated it mm-hmm. so 
I thought, you know what? I'm going to return the favor and I'm going to talk about his mixtape. Was it the little Captain Dragon. Haddock figurine over there? It was not the little Captain Haddock oh, figurine over okay. there because he was a fan of Completely Beatles, not oh, Totally Tintin. Right, 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 right. In case people don't know who listened to the show, hmm. Ian and I have done a couple of sidecasts. Mm-hmm. One about the Beatles mm-hmm. called Completely Beatles, one about Tintin mm-hmm. called Totally Tintin, mm-hmm. and we have one called the uh, Full Marks Full about Marks. Karl Marx. About the Marx Brothers. No, the Full Marks one that's about Karl Marx is a different podcast. Oh, right. There actually is one called Full Marx yeah. about Karl Marx. Yeah. We just stomped all over them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so those are things that we've done. And then, of course, there's this spinoff podcast, mm. Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. This one? Yes. Is this a spinoff? I thought this was the like the flagship. This is the, this is the one that everyone listened to. Exactly. That's, that's what you told me. I'm kind of... <laughs> well, hmm, Mary, is... I... <laughs> What I meant when I said was, this is, anyway. What I meant was no one listened to this one. You got it mixed up. Oh, right, right. We have no listeners to this podcast. <laughs> no, I've, you know, walked into the house while mom was walking around listening to, listening to it. Oh, okay. And then I go over to her phone and press, it. press pause <laughs> and say, don't listen to that when I'm here. <laughs> I, can't, I can't hear the sound of my own voice. <laughs> No, I don't like it either. No, it's terrible. You have a nice voice. Do you have a nice voice too, dude? I do not. Yes, you do. Ah, nope. I don't think I have a nice voice. You have a nice voice. Well, that's nice of you to say that, but it's just no one thinks I have a nice voice. Okay. It's kind of like your name. Right. Things that are things that are genuinely ours, we don't like. I like my name. Oh, you like your name? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought you didn't like your name. I used to not like it, but Mm, you've grown up to. I mean, I'm the same. When I was a teenager, I didn't like my name, but yeah, yeah. No, I I, I'm used to hearing my voice. I don't like my last name. Sorry. You don't like your last name? No. It's just because no one can pronounce it. Yeah. It's really frustrating. Even when I tell, even when I say to people, they say, what's your last name? I said, Dedrick. They say, oh, Dedrick? Yeah. No, I just said it. You know what's weird though? Hmm. At Otter Co-op, uh-huh. which is a local grocery store, yep. you, um, you have to give your membership number when you- Yes. Going to buy, you don't have to, but since we have membership numbers, we give our membership number when we're purchasing groceries. And they have never once mispronounced my name when they they really? ask it to check that check to make sure I gave them the right number. Hmm, interesting. I know it's really strange. Yeah, I have not complimented them on them yet because I don't want to jinx it. But right. uh, you know what? I just will appreciate it. You know what's you know what else is interesting about yeah. our name? Yeah. A while ago, I was um, at the liquor store buying some beer for Duncan on the way home from work. Okay. Because we were getting pizza. Can and I ask, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Just to not take you off the course. Totally. Were you uncomfortable uh-huh. buying beer at the liquor, liquor store? Yeah, I don't. I have no. I don't care. You know, it doesn't bother you? No. Uh, kind of, I don't know, I find it kind of... Well, I mean, the only thing I worry about is buying one that would be bad, because I don't drink beer. I think it all tastes bad. So then I'm like, oh, well, what if this one's not good? So he was like, I'm like, well, what do you want? And he's like, okay, well, here's some that I like. Okay. And I went there, and of course, those were the ones that he didn't have, that they didn't have. <laughs> okay. And so I was like, oh, so I spent like 30 minutes in the cold zone. Yeah. Because the other thing is uh, liquor stores in BC are mainly government run yes. and there's some independent ones yeah but um oh because the other thing is in canada yeah i think all across canada but definitely in bc you can't buy alcohol anywhere other than a liquor store that's true so you can't go to the grocery store and get alcohol you can't go to the gas station and get alcohol that's true you have to go to a specific liquor store yeah and this only recently they started introducing cold zones yes which was uh, free fridges that had beer in them. Yeah. Before all beer that you bought was room temperature. Exactly. Yeah. Because they didn't want, I guess the idea was they didn't want people like buying it and then going out into their car and then like popping a cold one or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I don't know. It makes sense, really. It, it does. But now they've changed it so that people don't have to like 
wait. They don't have to wait. They don't have to wait like an hour to drink cold beer after yeah. they get home. Yeah. They're just like sitting there like twiddling their thumbs. <laughs> like, do you think it's cold enough yet? Probably not. Um, yeah. So I spent like 30 minutes in like the cold zone of this liquor store. Yeah. Which sometimes they just have fridges, but sometimes they have walk-in fridges, which this one did. So I was standing there like looking at all the craft beer like, oh, uh, um, like they all sound bad. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, I know he likes this brand. But, like, the only one that they have is, like, an oatmeal stout, and that seems like a weird thing to have with pizza. And I was like, what's the other? They also have, like, a cranberry sour, and I was like, that sounds bad, too. Huh. Eh, I don't know. Was this place that had a run on it or something? It's like they didn't have any beer. No, they had beer. They just didn't have any of the specific beer he asked for. Oh, okay. For. But also because... So you was... can't, like, buy him a Bud- Budweiser or whatever. Well, no, like he wouldn't he, like that. He just turned his snobby nose up he, at that. He said... He would turn his, his microbrewery nose. What would you it. like? Yeah. And he said, uh, this or this, but if they don't have that, just a... Or he said, no, sorry, he said a, a craft Pilsner or lager, I think. Okay. Pilsner or something else. Sure. Um, and then he said, pref- preferably this or this. Yeah. And I was like, okay. They didn't have either of those. And I was like, okay, so I want to get craft one that he I know that he likes. And I don't know. They didn't have a lot of options. Anyway, anyway, this is going way too long. <laughs> so I went up to the um, the cashier yeah. to buy it. And I got ID'd because yeah. I'm 25 and they ID anyone who looks under 40 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And the woman looked at my name. That's why they never ID like, me. And she was like, oh, Dedrick. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, do you have any relatives in, in Nova Scotia? And I was like, I don't know. And she was like, because I... My daughter is a Dedrick. Yeah. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah. Like, I know a whole family of Dedricks in Nova Scotia. And she said, my daughter is one of them. I guess she... By marriage? No. I think... No, I think biologically. Oh, okay. Like, I think that her daughter's dad was a Dedrick. Oh, I see. Okay. And um, and she said, and they're... And one of them is named whatever holly and she has a she uh looks kind of like you uh. and i was like oh interesting so i wonder if they're related to us that's possible yeah maybe my great grandfather comes from the maritimes hmm. so okay it's possible that he left family when he moved out here yeah and then we don't have contact with them for whatever reason yeah uh, apparently he was a bit of a, a bit of a drinker so he right. may have been a bit of a rascal so he may have yeah. uh left under a cloud <laughs> But yeah, as I said, I said everyone, um, everyone who is a Dedrick in the phone book here is directly related to me. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I remember there was um, on the news one time I was watching the spokesman for like a fisherman's union yeah. during like the cod crisis in in the Maritimes, I think, and uh, his last name was Dedrick. Huh. I was like, oh, so there are, there's Dedrick, still Dedricks there. So I get there probably are, there probably are people who are related to us, just we don't. We don't know them anymore. Right. We turn our nose up at those yeah. Easterners. This is not a common name. It's not that common. You're right. Yeah. It's uh, fairly common, strangely enough, amongst, amongst black people in the States. Interesting. And then it uh, seems to be fairly common amongst doctors in the States. Mm, yes. There's a Dr. Mary Dedrick. There's also a Dr. David Dedrick. Is there? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I know. Because hmm. I, I, for a while, when I first started doing um, Sneaky Dragon, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'm going to be really famous, so I should get Google Alerts. And all I ever get Google alerts for is Dr. David Dedrick. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like, well, okay, glad someone's doing well. <laughs> glad someone's getting the attention. I just do but five wait. or six podcasts. Do you have? Why would I get Google alerts? Do you have it set up for Dave Dedrick? No. Why? 
people call you Dave. Oh, I guess maybe. Maybe. <laughs> okay. All right. So what's the first song, Dad? So, okay. So let me just back up a little bit, oh. Mary. Beep. Sorry. We're not ready to Beep. start this podcast yet, huh? Beep. No, I just want to say, so this okay. is this is the first CD of two okay. for Mike Davidson. Right. Who sent, sent me a couple of CDRs. Yep. And, uh, and then he was kind enough to send me a CDR back. So we will... Oh. Do I think we'll do two of the we'll do the two two mixtapes that I did for him and then mm-hmm. we'll talk about his. Cool. I think that'll be fair because his had a bit is a bit of a point to it. Okay, interesting. And you might notice you might notice a theme. One thing about this mix particularly, mm-hmm. and uh, we could discuss it maybe next time. Okay. If I remember, if I don't, okay. we won't. Okay. But we will in the end. Sure. Let me put it that way. All right. We'll get to it eventually. All right. All right. So let's start this. We're going to start with a bang. Mm-hmm. We're going to start with a big start. A big okay. big. A big, uh, it's going to start with a big fanfare, Mary. Is it? Because it's going to start with fanfare. Right. The Eric Matthews song from yes. his first album, It's Heavy in Here, from mm-hmm. 1995. Mm-hmm. So let's give this song a listen. And I'm sure everyone out there is going to love it. And I'm so glad you're going to get to hear it because it's such a fabulous song. So here we go, everyone. This is Eric Matthews with Fanfare.
So that was Eric Matthews mm -hmm. with Fanfare. Mm -hmm. And Mary, we, you had Eric Matthews on, on the last show. We yes, listened to No Gnashing Teeth from yes. his from his second sub pop album, mm -hmm. The Lateness of the Hour. Yes, but this is from his first album. This is from his first sub pop album. That's correct. And uh, I'm going to assume that you love this song. I do. Because it's such a great song. It is. It's, it's a fantastic song. It's a great arrangement of a song as mm -hmm. well. It's not just... I mean, the song is nice. It has a great tune. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's sung in that kind of slightly sort of Nick Drake Yes, it style. definitely reminds me of Nick Drake. Yeah. Eric that Matthews, was in my notes. Eric Matthews' sort of whispery vocals have a bit of that that kind of hushed Nick yeah. Drake tone. Well, I think also sort of the... Well, I mean, we, we, we did talk last time about um, Eric Matthews being a fan of sort of orchestral sounds. Sure. And that's how this was sold at the time as yeah. as orchestral pop. Or pop. Orc pop or Baroque pop. Yeah, you know. Baroque pop. Um, but I feel like Nick Drake has a bit of that same, like, uh, high, like lots of instruments or like, mm -hmm. like sort of um, full, sort of full instrument sound. Yeah. That's in here as well. Yeah. Well, he had his friend Richard Hewson, who he knew from, from, call, from university, uh, from going to Cambridge, and who was, a, was an arranger. Who brought you know like a his own kind of palette of strings and stuff to Nick Drake's music, mm -hmm. and but in this case Eric Matthews is the kind of arranging brain behind the songs as well. He yeah he went to music school. He's mm -hmm. he is you know has a master of fine arts in in, in music, and he is a an accomplished arranger. Mm -hmm. Well, he as we talk, grew up playing trumpet, played yeah. trumpet in chamber orchestras and things. So he had like a lot of experience. And we said we talked about what? Oh, and as we talked about um, last time, yeah, uh, his first um, like band that he was in was Cardinal, yeah, and in that he was the um, the arranger, yes. When his partner Richard Davies? Richard Davies Richard Davies yeah. was um, was the songwriter. That's right, right. So right. there were sort of two halves of a whole, and Richard Davies was the one who. In sort of uh inspired eric matthews to start writing his own music yeah well so, so i just want to kind of go back to cardinal because i think it it kind of it relates a little it relates quite a bit to like this album mm -hmm. oh, you, you know what dad yeah this uh this song does sound a lot like cardinal it does anyway doesn't mm -hmm. it yeah yeah uh, sounds a lot like um do you believe in christmas trees which is the song that we played on the last yeah album yeah. which for a second i was thinking is called you must believe in christmas trees but i was like that's not right no i don't think that's i don't think anyone needs to insist on that as a you must you must they're real they're real i swear every, every time you say there's a christmas tree decorated in your living room but i won't go in there to find it it's gone <laughs> Real, I swear there was a Christmas tree in here just a minute ago. It's a real Candace Flynn from Phineas and Ferb moment. Oh, Mary, in your deep cuts. Uh, is it? It is very deep. No. Unless it's a good show. You, unless, unless you grew I was up, watching it before. Unless you're a tween oh, in the 90s. A chicken just flapped up against the window. Oh, nice. I don't know if anyone could hear that. No, I didn't even hear it. No, you didn't hear no, that? No. Oh. I was too busy talking. But I was thinking, I kind of looked back at 1995. I was just kind of curious, mm -hmm. like, what were the big songs at that time? Yep. Because I was thinking this album... Because could, you had a one-year-old at the time and were not able to listen to music? I don't know. I don't listen to music anyway. I was listening to music. I bought this album that, at that time. Okay. No, it's just, I had a one-year-old, but she really liked this album. No, um, True. I just, you know, I don't listen to popular music anyhow most well, of the time. Yeah. So, no, so I don't know what's going on. So I was just kind of curious. So it was like, so in that year, mm -hmm. we had Alanis Morissette, Mariah Carey, mm -hmm. and Coolio were like the top of the charts. Right. And so Eric Matthews was definitely out of step yes. with what everyone else was, was doing. And I think it's funny that uh, 
he signed to Sub Pop, a label so closely associated with the sort of music that he was the exact opposite of. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah. no way could you, oops, darn it. In no way could you put, uh, sorry, everyone, I gesture like a madman. <laughs> in no way could you put um, Eric Matthews and, and sort of Nirvana yeah. or, or Soundgarden I w- or whoever I would not, into that I would not call together. this a grunge song. Yeah. And obviously Sub Pop was, was looking to uh, kind diversify. of put, Yeah, diversify, kind of put, grunge pop not behind them but kind of a lot kind of have a wider palette of, of sounds and, and things they, like that. they understood that it was not a sound that was going to last forever yeah and i guess they're looking for the next big thing or whatever yeah but it turned out eric matthews was not it <laughs> that's well that's fair i think i could have told them that so like you were saying eric matthews uh De- it was Got his, his debut big album. Break with Cardinal. Debut album after Cardinal, which oh. Cardinal did not do great either. No. Cardinal was not a big seller. No. So why you looked at Cardinal and went, oh, we got to get this guy on our label because he's going to sell a million copies. That's mm-hmm. crazy. But um, now Cardinal itself is kind of interesting because Cardinal did not form around Richard Davies mm-hmm. or Eric Matthews. Oh, really? It formed around a drummer whose name was Bob Fay. Oh, interesting. Now, Bob Fay was friends with uh, Dinosaur Jr., Sebado bassist Lou Barlow. Okay, these are all fake names, but all no, right. No, Dinosaur Jr. It's quite a famous band. Jay okay. Mascus is the singer, okay. guitarist Another in that band. Okay, fake name, but okay. And Sebado was a band that that uh, Lou Barlow formed mm-hmm. after... Well, I think he might have formed it during Dinosaur Jr., but it's mm-hmm. sort of an outlet for his own songs, which he couldn't really I'm sing. pretty sure you're just making this all up. No, all right. he, couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't sing in Dinosaur Jr. Because uh, Dinosaur Jr. was like this sort of crazy like jock band that was like oh. all tormenting each other and mm. lou real barlow s- real steven still yeah lou barlow is the sensitive poet type which oh. was like the the uh the crushed beat the crushed he was worm. a real um yeah uh don't tell me can i give you his initials yes gc gene clark yes. he was a real gene clark <laughs> thanks you <laughs> you're welcome so so like i say faye was a friend of blue blue barlow and so barlow is one of those guys who's like well i'm in a band called sebado why don't I start another band called The Folk Implosion? <laughs> I'm in a band called Thibodeau and The Folk Implosion. Why don't I start another band called Belt Buckle? Mm, yeah. And so he and Faye put together a kind of side project uh, called Belt Buckle, mm-hmm. which they recruited Eric Matthews into. Now, Matthews, of course, as we were saying before, had, you know, grown up playing trumpet, had played in, you know, obviously school band, had played in chamber orchestras, went to school, you know, per- professionally played trumpet was an arranger mm-hmm. was very much involved in the world of classical music but at some point he decided that that wasn't speaking to him anymore and he wanted to like kind of get into to rock like playing rock and roll music and so so here he was he's recruited as a bass player in this new band you know so side project one-off kind of project called belt buckle with um with uh, uh sorry barlow and Fay, and they put out one seven inch ep in 1993 on, on a label called sonic bubblegum uh and the uh, and I'm gonna play one song from it now, okay. just so people can hear hear it. I just because I don't think many people have probably heard this song, and so it's it's I think it's a pretty good EP. Mm-hmm. Um, well, apparently one time someone asked Lou Barlow if he could play a song off Belt Buckle for them because they're big fans of it, and he he told them that they were so stoned when they made it he can't even can't even rem- can't even remember the songs now. Oh wow! Like he has no memory of doing the actual project. So <laughs> <laughs> so apparently so it's then in a bit of a cloud. A uh, haze of smoke, I guess. But uh, we're gonna play a song called "Judas Suicide." It's the first. It's the first track off of the uh, four-song EP. And uh, here we go, everyone. We're gonna play it, and we'll come right back. 
Okay, and we're back. So, Mary, that was Belt Buckle. Mm-hmm. I imagine you enjoyed that. Mm, yeah, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. It's funny because you think, well, what did Eric Matthews really have to do with this song? But but it's kind of interesting. Like the vocals at the beginning are kind of whisper, kind of hushed vocals at the start of it. Mm-hmm. And it does have kind of a dynamic that I can see in like an Eric Matthews song. But it's also kind of a grunge dynamic where you start off quiet and then you get louder and louder as you go. So, mm-hmm. um, But I think it's pretty good. I mean, I really like Lou Barlow a lot. I love, I'm a big fan of Sebado, so... So this this is just right up my particular alley, which is why I have it. But um, uh, so Faye then met Richard Davies after doing this project. Right. Um, who had fallen in love with a girl uh, who would actually end up as the back cover model on the on Cardinal's first EP, which was called Toy Bell. Hmm. Uh, and he ended up in Boston after breaking up with his former band, The Moles, while they were in London. Right. So he broke up with them. Because he's an Australian. He's an Australian. But of course, like all Australians, they want to live in North America. Well, of course. Well, why not? And he was on he was en route to Whistler, <laughs> but he got, he, got, he got stuck in Boston. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, was a, that was a joke for people who live in Vancouver. We all know. Because Whistler is entirely Australians. Yes. If you go to, if you go, to go skiing, you're like, where did you learn to ski? Like, why are you here working <laughs> on a mountain? And anyway. you know what's funny? One of the residents at my work, yeah. she was telling me that her grandson 
is here visiting her or he was uh, came by to visit and i was like oh that's great and she's like yeah he's australian and i was like oh wow he grew up in australia and she said no he uh, married an australian girl and okay. moved to australia but oh. he's back in canada with a friend yeah and so they stopped by on their way to go skiing <laughs> and i was like that's unsurprising <laughs> that's how they learn that's how australians learn they make they friends with canadians make friends with canadians then, do some skiing and then they can come back and teach it on yeah. the bunny hills uh so yeah, so he ended up in Boston. Okay. And and so uh, they, he and Faye started like playing together. And then Faye thought, you know, it'd be great is if I brought Eric into this as well, and we could you know have a little bit of have some fun jamming together. So then he introduced Davies to to Matthews, and just kind of felt like this would be a great fit. And the three began practicing in his attic, where they actually discovered uh, Faye's copy of the soundtrack to a film called The Cardinal. And that gave the band its name. And uh, then they moved to this guy named Bob Weston, who was the bass player in Shellac, which was a, b- a band fronted by Steve Albini, the producer. Mm-hmm. Another fake name. Continue. Nope. Steve Albini, he was in Big Black. Mm-hmm. And another band whose name I'm not going to say because it's no longer amusing. Huh. And uh, But it was so hilarious in the 90s, Mary, that you would call a band by that name. So hilarious. Ugh. Anyway, uh, the... Uh, they moved to Bob Weston's practice space where he had a four-track recorder. Okay. And they used that to rehearse and they started stockpiling, they started using songs, sorry, that Davies had stockpiled because mm-hmm. he wasn't in the moles anymore and he was just kind of writing. And uh, some of these songs were recorded for a new label that was formed by some people who had left Sub Pop and wanted to form their own label. So they formed this label called Fly Daddy. And that was, and then they they put out the Toy Bell EP, which was four songs and which featured Davies on guitar, mm-hmm. Faye on drums, and Eric Matthews on bass. Hmm. Uh, and so, and then everyone, of course, sang on it. Now, unfortunately, the band decided it would be great. Well, Davies decided it would be great if this band, who had just been playing together for a short while, did a big live show, did a big showcase, which they did. It was a disaster. So that was very dispiriting. And then Bob Faye got called by Sebado because Sebado's original drummer, Eric Gaffney, had skedaddled for some reason, had just skipped town. And they had to go on a tour, and they had no one to drum, so Faye was uh, left Cardinal to, to help out Lou, his friend Lou Barlow in Sabado. Right. And then Eric Matthews decided that he should move back west, back to, back to Oregon, mm-hmm. or back back to the west coast. But he was actually originally from California, but yeah. he decided to move back to Oregon. And so that kind of left... So Davies was left by himself in Boston, hmm. and that was the end of Cardinal, yeah. they all thought. But what happened was Toy Bell... Uh, suddenly started getting a lot of interest. Hmm. And labels started being interested in it. Okay. And then Fly Daddy said, listen, we can give you some enough money for you to record a record an album. Right. And so it was decided that since Eric Matthews was in was in um was in Oregon, that it would be cheaper for them to record there than to come back to Boston and do and record there. And also there was a really healthy music scene in Portland. Because there was a couple of clubs that had introduced this policy where um, they would give the door proceeds to bands that would play there. Okay. So you just had, they had open nights where mm-hmm. bands could just come and play. Yeah. And they would get the $3 cover charge. Right. For every person who came. That's cool. And the club would just take the bar. Mm-hmm. And it was good for the bar or it was good for the club. Yeah. And it was good for the bands. And so it really created this kind of hot, mm-hmm. hot scene because there's so I many mean, lots of opportunity, which is always the what creates... You know, a good scene is the opportunity right. to play somewhere. Isn't that the 
idea behind cover charge though not always it's not always done that way though a lot of cases the 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 bar takes or the club takes all of the proceeds yeah. and pays the band you know a hundred dollars out of it or whatever oh, okay but in this case they were making really good money so it was a real encouragement for yeah. bands to, to to come like mm. so you could you'd end up with maybe like triple bills where everyone could get paid really paid paid really well right so it was like a really burgeoning scene so other people started coming from other places to take you know to join in on the scene that was because also Portland was cheap to live in at this time. This is Portland's still pretty cheap, though. It's cheapish. But like, it's not what it was. Well, no, and, and no, it's going no, up. It's going to keep going up. Well, no, yeah, but everything's like that. Because everyone, everyone has to leave California. Yeah. Because no one can afford to live there. And Seattle. So there's actual cities that are like trying to ban Californians from moving there. Really? And, like in Texas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Mm. I know because it just it just it just skews the economy so much. Mm. It's like you were like a, a tribe of people that traded in puka shells mm-hmm. and suddenly all these people showed up and they have gold. Mm. And you're like, well, my, my puka shells are worth nothing. Yeah. That's what's happening. Right. And the puka shell people are resentful. Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe because they can't afford to live there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So there's a healthy music scene there and there's lots of, of bands, lots of musicians mm-hmm. available. Kind of. So Eric Matthews, um, they hired um, the drummer Tony Lash. Who had played in Heat Miser with Elliot Smith? They brought him in as an engineer for the sessions, mm-hmm. and then um, now the problem with the relocation to Oregon was that Bob Fay couldn't take part in the project then because he was still back east in right, Boston. He was still in Sebado. He was still kind of in the Sebado, yeah, fake yeah. Named band. He was. I think he did two more albums with Sebado, and then he got fired. Oh. And then Eric Gaffney returned, or there was one more fill-in drummer, and then Eric Gaffney returned, and so yeah, so he was out of the picture at that time, and so. Um, so they turned to this guy named whose name was V Slayer Hippie. That's what he was. His name was okay. T H W E Slayer Hippie. Mm-hmm. His real name was Steve Hanford, mm-hmm. and he had played in this. Uh, now that's your real name, Steve Hanford. Yeah. What do you mean that's your real name? I'm just saying that we've had all these fake names. Steve <laughs> Hanford. That's a name. You saying Lou Barlow is a fake name? Kind of. Bob Fay. Yeah. That's a that's a fake name. Mm-hmm. And so Steve Hanford. Uh, he was a drummer in a local uh, hardcore punk band called Poison Idea, and he was brought in on drums for Cardinal, which I think is hilarious because Cardinal is such a this you know very soft yeah. kind of chamber pop, mm-hmm. and they bring in this hardcore drummer. But he actually pr- proved remarkably adept at playing in that style, and I think he kind of brought like a a kind of his own ideas to it that right. really kind of helped. That's good in the in the propulsion of the songs. So now after the release of Cardinal, Matthew's stock was really high, mostly because. One song in the album, his only song in the album, was chosen by the U- European distributor as the single. Mm. And so, and so, he, like he felt like the the song, the, the best song in the album was, um, was it "If You Believe in Christmas Trees"? No, it's uh, "Do You Believe in." Christmas oh, do you? Trees? Sorry, do you believe in Christmas trees? That's what, that was the one that he thought was the single, and that's the one that the North American, like Flight Daddy, chose as the single yeah. for the album. But in the in the the European, European market. They chose a song called Dream. I didn't write down the song. What's called? Like, I thought I would remember it. Doesn't matter anyway. Uh, Dream something or other. And so, so now Matthew suddenly found himself being courted by record companies. Hmm. And so, like you say, he was kind of inspired by working with Davies to to um, start songwriting. And I think he w- really kind of wanted to branch out on his own. So, wait, sir, what did you think the song was called? Dream something. Oh, Dream Figure. Dream Figure. Yeah, yeah. And so. Um, so yeah, so he ended up signing a two-record deal with Sub Pop Records because the reason he signed with Sub Pop was because they would guarantee him two records. So instead of just doing, you know, instead of one record and see what would happen, they gave him two records. So right. he was guaranteed 
at worst that he could make two records. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, so so the reason I kind of went through this past history is because Matthew drew on the same people who had worked on Cardinal for his first album. So we have Tony Lash returning as engineer, and mm-hmm. he also got to drum on one of the songs on the album. And then Steve Hanford also returned as as drummer. But Matthews added a secret weapon to the album. Mary, can you guess what that secret weapon was? It's a person. Can you guess what that secret weapon was? Um, was it Lou Barlow? No. It was Jason Faulkner. Oh, I like Jason Faulkner. <laughs> yes, I know. Who was uh, his newish friend. Okay. And whose electric guitar and bass parts, I think, really give this, the fanfare particularly, like, give it its kind of like, like, it is, he just brought like this sort of winning sound to the song. Mm-hmm. So Faulkner started off as a guitarist in the kind of dying days of the three o'clock, the band, the three o'clock. Mm-hmm. And he played bass, guitar and keyboards in that group. And then... Well, he'd been a guitar- sorry, he'd been a guitarist in that group. Then he left, or when the three o'clock broke up, he and another guy that he knew uh, convinced him that he should join his band called Jellyfish because they were just about to sign a major deal with a re- with a label, and he could get in on a band on the ground floor. And so Matt, uh, Faulkner joined that band on bass, guitar, and keyboards. Uh, but he was super unhappy in that group because he found that he thought that the band was too too uh married to their to their influences right they 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 sounded too too uh derivative and also they wouldn't they wouldn't play his songs they wouldn't record the songs that he'd written Hmm. so he was very unhappy so he left that group and he vowed to never be in a band again okay he said i'll never join another band again that's what he told me he said he phoned me up one day Mm -hmm. i I didn't know who he was he just phoned up and i said hello and he said dave i'm never going to join another band again this is jason falcon just so you know never in a band again hate it Never again. I said, okay, thanks for calling. I hung up. A little while later, he joined another band. Yeah. He was uh, also, didn't he put out a couple albums with Beck? No, no. He's toured with Beck. He's in Beck's touring band. I thought. But uh, he's, he's never been a, like a co, co-credited co as a Beck. He's, but he's like, he's played with Beck. Yeah. But he's never been like. Well, no, it's not like Beck yeah. with Jason Faulkner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like. No, no, no. Yeah, that's what, he, that's what he's become. Because his, his album's. His, two, his solo albums he did for Electra Records didn't really take off. And so, uh, yeah, he kind of had to become sort of a hired gun. Mm. Uh, so he's worked with Air. He's worked with mm-hmm. he's worked with um, Beck. I know he produced an Arctic Monkeys album. Mm-hmm. And uh, He worked with Ariel Pink. Ariel Pink. He's produced um, Brendan, Brendan Benson, I think his name is, who was later played with uh, Jack White in, in The Rock and Tours. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Jack White. Or he not- worked on the Ocean's 13 soundtrack. Okay. Yeah. I know he's just a you know super talented guy. Like this yeah. is you're, you're guaranteed a you're guaranteed quality product with him involved in it. And he uh, yeah like Brendan Benson for instance. Like that guy he the album he produced for Brendan Brendan Benson was like made that guy's reputation. Oh really? And he's never been as good at it, like never did as good an album as that one. Hmm. And you know so you can kind of point the finger at who was responsible for like the arrangements and stuff on that album and made it made it sparkle so much. And uh, yeah, it's just nice that Benson can <laughs> ride on that artistic oh. success. Oh, he also worked with Paul McCartney. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. He contributed guitar parts to two songs on Chaos and Creation in the Backyard. Oh, I know. One other thing he did that was interesting. Mm-hmm. He played one of the uh, bass parts in uh, the bass off in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Oh, yeah. Or Universe. Yes. Didn't he? Oh, no. Never mind. Never mind. Uh, well, because I, I thought, I don't know why. Because it was one of the guys from who was it who did the um? Because one of the guys from Sloan, yeah, Chris Murphy, Chris, Chris Murphy. For some reason, I was thinking yeah. that Jason Faulkner knew Chris Murphy, and that's how he got it, or something. 
no, but then I, don't I was think like, so. I don't think that that's right. No, it was the because um, the producer of the soundtrack was um, oh, the producer who produced Radiohead, and he also worked with Paul McCartney as well. So he, that's why you may have known Jason Faulkner because he produced um, one of his albums, and I can't remember that producer's name. And if any, if anyone out there is yelling it at me, I I appreciate it. I just can't hear you. But um, okay. it'll come to me tomorrow I'll be, or tonight I'll be laying in bed and I'll sit up, sit up bolt up right and I'll be Nigel Godrich. That's who it is. Nigel Godrich produced, <laughs> the, um, produced the, the soundtrack for Scott Pilgrim versus the Universe. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, and he's friends with, with Faulkner. And so that's how he got involved in it. And the reason that Chris Murphy was involved was because, was because um, the, uh, Brian O'Malley, Brian Lee O'Malley, the writer of the writer artist of Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. was such a huge fan of Sloan because he's oh, a Toronto he's, kid. Yeah, and so he recommend he strongly recommended hmm. that, uh, when, that Ed, Chris Edgar Wright, oh. yeah, hire him as as band director. Cool. To, and basically, what Chris Murphy's job was was to kind of like get the actors to look like they knew how to play. Yes. So yep. he taught uh, Stephen Stills. He taught, he well, taught Steven, the, yeah, the actor, and, uh, young Neil, young Neil. And, and then, uh, Kim, I was think of the actor. Uh, I think her name is Kim, the character. Yeah. Not the actress. Yeah. I can't remember that. Anyway. Yeah. He taught them all to play drums, play <laughs> yeah. bass. I mean, um, Michael Sarah already was fr- pr- pretty familiar with, with playing music. So oh, okay. he kind of knew what he was doing, but right. well, but, I mean, he does have, um, an impeccable sense of timing. Okay. Because that was a Arrested Development joke. Okay. <laughs> it was like a joke that he, uh, um, that George Sr. Yeah. Made this, uh, this deep fryer that is like always hot on the outside. Okay. So it like, if you touch it, it burns you. But then they realized that there was like an, an interior timer on it that, um, that still works. They decided to just sell that. Okay. And, or to, to see if it would work on George Michael as a baby. So it was just this like tick, 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 tick. So he always jokes that he has like an impeccable sense of, oh. of timing. Okay. Does he? Well, supposedly. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah. So Chris Murphy like taught them rock star moves and, and, uh, you know, just how to look like, you know what you're doing. Right. So anyway. Oh, but I was also going to say that, um, Nigel God Godrich, Godrich, yeah, um, produced. Can you still feel Jason Faulkner's album? Oh, okay, yeah. That was his second album. No, it's Author Unknown with with Jason Faulkner. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then Can You Still Feel? Was that was the second album, right? Yeah, I think with so. With Revelation on it. Oh, it was Mae Whitman who played Kim. May I don't is that her name really? I don't think so. No, yeah. No. Oh no, maybe it wasn't. No, May Whitman. I think her last name is Pine or something like that. Anyway. She's, um, I think she's married to... Oh, Alison Pill. Alison Pill. Well, who's Sorry, that's Mae it. Whitman? She's married oh, to... Oh, Roxy. Right. Okay. She's married to Frodo. Oh, really? Yeah. Elijah Wood? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. So you you know she's short. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so Faulkner... Uh, no, she's not. Oh, she's, she's married not? to Joshua Leonard. Oh, shoot. How did I think she was married to... I don't know. I'm pretty sure Elijah Wood is like sexless, so... <laughs> well, of course he is... He, that's you know what happened to him, right? Yeah. Uh, he no. carried he carried a ring uh-huh. up a mountain, mm-hmm. up a volcano, mm-hmm. and just before he was going to throw it in, mm-hmm. he like changed his mind. He's going to keep it, right? Because the ring infected his brain, mm-hmm. and then he almost died there before he was. But he was, luckily for him, he was carried carried away by eagles. Okay. And then he was taken off to the to the. Then he was like living for a while, but he was so sick that he finally had to go to the to the uh, other lands, whatever they call them. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the other lands turns out it's Hollywood. 
Hmm. And he's been there ever since. Hmm. But he's really not really not himself anymore. Mm-hmm. It's kind of sad. Anyway, Can You Still Feel was uh, his second album. That's what he I He came out in 1999. That's the one that has um, my favorite Jason Faulkner song on Revelation. it. Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. We'll hear it. We'll hear that song. It's on a mix. Good. Uh, so, yeah. So, like I say, he wasn't going to play in a band again. But then he made he, he and John Bryan, um, who uh, produced Rufus Wainwright, and mm-hmm. was kind of a well-known scenester in L.A. Right. He... Uh, and kind of talk Jason Faulkner into into like jamming with him and a couple other friends. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, he's someone wa- someone wanted to sign them. Yeah. And they're like, "Well, come on, Jason. This guy wants to sign us. He got to join the band." And he's like, "Oh, I don't want to join the band, but <laughs> I feel like if I don't, then this is not going to work as a project." And so now I'm stuck. And so yeah, he joined the Grays, but he really didn't want to. And so now in early 1994, Matthews saw a video of the Grays performing. A song by Faulkner, Faulkner called Very Best Years. And mm-hmm. he instantly loved the song and kind of instinctively knew that he needed to meet the singer of the song. Like, he just felt like, me and this guy are going to be great friends. I know it. And so a couple months later, it turned out that the Grays were coming to Portland to play an in-store appearance at a local record store. Hmm. Which I feel, they didn't say this, but I feel it was Borders. That was the biggest record store in, in Portland at that time. Oh, okay. But maybe not. But I just feel like, I can't think of any other record stores where... There's enough room in the the record store for like to have a band playing with people watching, right? Unless they figured no one was going to come. Hmm. But I think it was Borders. But anyway, Matthews made it a point to talk to Faulkner after the show, and he gave him a cassette with a rough mixes of Cardinal because they just had finished doing the tracking on that album, and so he had you know so he just he gave this to Faulkner and said I want you to listen to this and tell me what you think. So, um, so then he got a postcard from from Faulkner later on because Faulkner mm-hmm. was on tour, but he sent him a folk poster and he said love the love the music let's get together when i get back i'll you know i'll call you when i get back right so now in 1995 as matthew was being courted by record companies faulkner signed a solo deal with Elektra records so he and matthews were discussing working together but then this kind of got in the way so it might have been matthews appearing on a jason faulkner record but in the end matthew's album was greenlit before faulkner's and he made a point of having faulkner play on the album and so he had a sixty thousand dollar budget for the album which is pretty good. It's a, it's a kind of a, a high-low amount, if you know what I mean. Okay. And so uh, Faulkner played electric and acoustic guitar, piano, bass, and drums on the album. Okay. And this song, Fanfare, features Eric Matthews on electric guitar, trumpet, and vocals, Jason Faulkner on electric guitar and bass, and then Steve Hanford, also known as The Slayer Hippie, I love that name, yes. on drums. Hmm. And it's a great song. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anyone says. Right. Don't tell me you don't like it. Or tell me you don't like it. It's fine. It's up to you. All right, Mary, let's move on to another song. Okay. This band is called mm. The Bubble Puppy. Yes. Best known for what song, Mary? Wait, wait, sorry. The band? Yeah. I believe it says Bubble Puppy. I don't think there's a the there. Okay, Bubble Puppy. And the song is Hurry Sundown. No, no, but but what song oh. are they famous for? Oh. Uh... It's not Hurry Sundown, because that's a B-side. It is. Um... I don't know. Hot smoke and sassafras. Right. Oh. <laughs> I mean, from their, uh, to be uh, fair, this yeah. song's better. This song's better? Yes. Really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. You feel that way. I mean, I, I do like it, but I, not, not more than hot smoke and sassafras. But anyway. Okay. So this is uh, from the 1969 album, A Gathering of Promises. Mm-hmm. Let's give a listen to a song that Mary rates higher, higher than hot smoke and higher sassafras. Than hot smoke and sassafras. Mm-hmm. Maybe because, uh, is it because the lyrics are more coherent? All right, let's give it a listen, everyone. Here we go. 
That is a wonderful song. Yeah, but it is. I don't know if it's more wonderful. I don't know if it's wonderfuller than... Mm, than Hot Smoke and Sassafras. Hot Smoke and Sassafras, which has I some mean, pretty great lead guitar parts. But this song has some pretty great lead... It does. Uh, dual lead guitar yes, parts Hot Smoke well. and, I'm not saying Hot Smoke and Sassafras is bad. Okay. I'm saying that they're both very good songs. Okay. But you like this one better? I think so. Oh, interesting. I think I do. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. Well, you kind of are saying that. Well, I'm just surprised that, you're, that it's your opinion. Right. Okay. But it's not wrong. This is surprising. Yeah. All right. Uh, the band, Mary. Mm-hmm. Yes. Rod Prince. Uh-huh. On lead guitar and vocals. Okay. Roy Cox. Mm-hmm. On bass guitar and mm-hmm. vocals. And most of the songs were written by Roy Pr- Rod Prince and Roy Carr. Uh, Todd Potter. Mm-hmm. On lead vocals. Or, uh, sorry, lead guitar and vocals as well. So two lead guitar players. Okay. And then David Four on drums and vocals. Right. They were the second most popular 60s band to draw their name from an Aldous Huxley book. Can you name the other band? The Beatles. Nope, not the name is not oh, drawn. Damn. I'll give you a hint. Yes. Uh, well known for their song, uh, "Light My Fire." Um. Okay, let me give you another hint. Okay, give me another it hint. It was taken from the book, the Aldous Huxley book, uh-huh. "The Doors of Perception." I don't know that book. I don't know any books by Aldous Huxley. The Doors 
of mm-hmm. Perception. Um, what band would that be, Mary? Is it Perception? <laughs> no, no, no. I got it. I got okay. it. It's of Perception. <laughs> no, okay. It's The Doors. Look, like you're sitting down so you didn't get a kick in the bum. <laughs> it's The Doors. It's The Doors. You're right, dear. <laughs> so they took they took their name from the old sexy book, The Doors of Perception. The Bubble Puppy took their name. No, just Bubble Puppy. Whatever. Bubble Puppy took their name mm-hmm. from... Uh, the Aldous Huxley book Brave New World, mm-hmm. in which there was a children's game in the story called Centrifugal Bumble Puppy, mm. which they then, for whatever reason, trans- transmuted into Bubble Puppy. Right. Can I and just I'm, say? I think it's a very weird. I don't know why it, exp- it inspires people to draw their name from that. There's a there was a comic book anthology, or like a comics anthology from mm-hmm. Fantagraphics in the '90s called Centrifugal Bumble Puppy as well, and it seems like weird. Can why? I just anyway, say yeah. that? The Doors is a bad name for a band. Yes. Centrifugal Bumble Puppy yeah. would be a good name for a band. Why is Doors the Doors bad name for a band? Bubble Puppy is okay. Bubble Puppy is okay, okay. It's pretty good. So you think that by shortening the name, they weakened the they weakened the name of the I think centrifugal is a very good word. Centrifugal is a very good word, okay. And I think that having that in your uh, band name makes it more powerful. Okay. The doors, not very powerful. <laughs> okay. Because that seems like a name where they're like, what are you going to name your band? And they're like, uh, uh, the <laughs> oh, Mary. Ch- chair, the chair, uh, no, um, the floor, the <laughs> wall, the door, the doors, the doors were the doors. <laughs> oh, if only you knew how pretentious they were and how cool they thought they were to Ugh. use that sort Ugh. of a name. There's a, there's a book yeah. that, um, I like a lot, written by Scott Westerfeld, who okay. is one of my favorite authors. Yeah. Is it The um, Uglies? It is not uglies. Is it pretties? It is not pretties. I've read another of books. The next one's specials and okay. then extras. Okay. <laughs> and then... Oh, the, the Ricky Gervais show. Nope. Oh. And then it is... Uh, oh, I can't remember the name of the next one. But then after that is Shatter City. Okay. And those are all a part of one series? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that... It, oh, Imposters. Okay. It's... Yes. But it's like the first three... It does the, go on. He sure does. The first three follow the same protagonist. Okay. And then after that, it's um, many years later in the same world. Okay. Sort of dealing with the consequences wrought um, within from the first three books. Okay. okay. So I think it's pretty interesting, huh. especially um, the next two, which I think story-wise are a little bland. Yeah. But world-building-wise are very interesting huh. because you're going through many different cities that are dealing with this like major change in different ways where like some are like highly um like surveillance based and like um monarch or like tyrannical and some are like the total opposite and they have like no governance and like um everything is like totally like um vote based yeah and the city is run just by like an ai um and to places that are like in between those two, yeah, you know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, this is a totally separate book, <laughs> so. which was another. So he he's a big fan of doing stealth sequels. Okay. So this is another stealth sequel, much like Imposters. Okay. Um, which was a stealth sequel to the Ugly series. Yeah. Um. So the it's called The Last Days, and it's okay. the stealth sequel to Peeps, which I think is his is his best book. Okay. Anyway, um, in it, it's about this band <laughs> yeah. that's getting together, okay. and there's a there's a time when they are uh, being booked by a record company. Okay. And um, and he says they're being signed. 
Yeah, so they're being signed by a record to a record yeah. label. Yeah. And the the guy who's signing them, who's like in charge of it or whatever, yeah. he's like, okay, so I'm going to sign you guys, but only if you can come up with a name. Because you have to have a name that sells you. Okay. Because if you don't have a name, no one's going to know who you are and you're just not going to work. So I'm going to leave and you have an hour to come up with a name. Okay. If you don't come up with a great name, I'm not signing it. And then yeah. he leaves. Yeah. And then they like totally go into a panic mode. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, what are we going to call ourselves? Yeah. Oh, oh. And they're like, maybe something like the Beatles. And they're like all like suggesting these names. And then the guy comes back and he's like, so what do you have? And they are like, uh, the, the table. And they're like, he's like, you know what? They always say that, but it's fine. I don't have to come up with a name yet. <laughs> and it's just this, like, this great, like, total, like, panic, like, oh, my God, what are we going to call ourselves? And just the fact that they come up with something totally stupid. And he's like, yeah, people always say something stupid based on something around the room. And that's what the doors reminds me of. Like, they were like, okay, uh-huh. I'm going to lock you guys in here for an hour. And you got to have a name when I come back. Well, the Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley is a is a is a drug book. It's about it, it, it's about taking LSD right. and how it opens your mind to to you know connect you to the universe and all the rest of those things that you're imagining that are happening to you because you're taking a drug. Right. Um. So, you know, because that's not actually what's happening. But anyway, so he, he uh, yeah. And I used to when I was a teenager, I really liked the Doors. But then I saw like this documentary about them where Ray Manzarek was talking about the band. He was the keyboardist in the group. And he was like so pre- hippie pretentious hmm, that yeah. I just I just killed the group for me and I could never en- I could never enjoy them. That's again. what I felt about Robert Crumb. Oh, that's I-, I never liked him very much. But, <laughs> so it was easier. <laughs> um, so yeah, so and I actually only saw one clip of it, and it's when he's watching the woman the woman do their dance class, and he's such oh, yeah. such a weirdo. <laughs> and I was like, ugh, <laughs> the skinny little guy. Uh, so now the group started as either the bad seeds or the new seeds, depending who you listen the to. The doors? No, this would be Bubble Puppy. Oh. We're not, I don't care where the doors are. They're not in our. They're not in our mix. They're not. Gonna, right. They're not going to be in our mix. They're too pretentious for you. Yeah, they have one good song, which is called Peace Frog. So um, it's the one good song they did. Hmm, interesting. I know people. Uh, people, <laughs> people listening it? to the show are like, really? They only have one good song, Dave. <laughs> I have other good songs. I'm just joking. So, oh, well, I was gonna say, is it better than Funny Little Frog by Bell and Sebastian? Well, it's not my favorite Bell and Sebastian song. No, it only gets anyone's, but it's a fun song. It is fun. I don't know, uh, probably is better than. It is probably better than Peace Frog. Uh, so yeah, they started as the Bad Seeds. Then they changed their name to Willowdale Handcar. Which I think it's a great name. <laughs> yeah. Talk about that's when they got the that's when they had the record company. Okay, you guys. I know you're they saying like, you're staying like... in a field near this railway rail railway museum. <laughs> You gotta, gotta think of a name of your band. They're like, they're like in, um, yeah, they're like in a field, and he's like, okay, you gotta. And they like look over, and there's like a willow, and then they like look over, and there's a dale, and then they look over, and there's an old timey hand car, and they're like, oh, willow, dale, hand car. So, like, there's only three of them in the band at that time. Would it be even longer? Uh, okay, so uh, that was so they're in Corpus Christi at that I can't time. Remember, sorry, yeah. one Kate? quick thing yeah. about that <laughs> sure. about that joke, Kate which did. is that. There's one piece of media, I think it's a TV show, where someone's trying to come up with a fake name, yeah. and so they're, like, looking around the room. I can't remember what this is from. They're, like, looking around the room and trying to think, like, come up with things to turn into a fake name, yeah. but all the things that they say add up to their real name. <laughs> I can't remember what it is, but it's such a good bit. That's good. Oh, if, that you, good. if you know what that's from, I don't. Oh, let that's me right. know, yeah, listeners. Come on, listeners, step up. Uh, so yeah, they're in Corpus Christi, Texas. Then they moved. Then they relocated to San Antonio, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it was there in San Antonio that they adopted the name the Bubble Puppy. The right. Bubble Puppy. Is it the Bubble Puppy? Mm-hmm. Okay. Taken from Huxley's Brave New World. And then, uh, and as as the Bubble Puppy, their very first co- concert was uh, opening for The Who in 1967. Then the band moved to Austin, where they rehearsed relentlessly in a shared house. Mm-hmm. And I think if you listen to their sound, you can hear the sound of a band that was played together a lot. Right. Just because they are so, their music is so intricate that, you know, it's only, it can only be the result of like people who really want to really enjoy playing together. Uh, then they came to the attention of the Houston based international artists record label, which was mm-hmm. the home of the 13th floor elevators, another great Texas psych band. And so the band has picked up sticks and then they moved to Houston now, unfortunately for bands, not just for them, 13th Floor Elevators as well, International Artists wasn't the best label for a band to sign to. They were kind of a rinky-dink label based in Texas, and they didn't have the infrastructure to properly capitalize on band success or promote their bands. So, for instance, Mary, mm-hmm. it issued Hot Smoke and Sassafras, which is clearly their best song, unless you like Hurry Sundown better, but it's clearly one of their best songs. It was I was issued as a B-side to a different song called a uh, different track called Lonely. And it was actually the DJs flipping the single okay. and playing the B-side that made it into a hit. Brought it to number 3 in the nation. Uh now the sudden success of Hot Smoke and Sassafras, the label was not prepared for this at all. They had no, nothing in the they had no plans in place, so they had to rush release an album. Fortunately the band's rigorous you know, rehearsal schedule had allowed them to build up a backlog of songs that not only did they have a backlog of songs, but they knew them really well. So they could go into the studio and quickly record them. And so then the, ba- the band was then sent out on poorly planned tours where they're going on these really like ridiculous routes that were long and, you know, they weren't making enough money for the distances they were traveling. They were put, because the name was Bubble Puppy, mm-hmm. they got grouped in with bands like 1910 Fruit Gum Company. Oh, they're which assumed, is very different. Yeah, they were assumed to be like a bubblegum group. Yeah. and Also, I looked yeah. at their album cover, yeah. and it just says Bubble Puppy. It doesn't say The Bubble okay, Puppy. Okay, okay. And also on Wikipedia, they're just listed as Bubble Puppy. All right. Anyway. All right, Mary. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. No worries. Anyway, so um, the, uh, the album cover to A Gathering of Promises, though, was which features the band members dressed by a theatrical costume designer... Uh, what this person did was they interviewed the band members and then dressed the band according to their personality types. So, for instance, the guitarist Rod Prince was dressed as a Viking. Okay. And the drummer, David Four, was a prince. So that was, was this weird thing. It's a real relic of its time, let's put it that way. Now, Hurry Sundown was the B-side to a, a non-album original called What Do You See, which is a much harder, kind of rockier so- sound than the earlier sound exemplified. So like Hurry Send Down, which is on the album, kind of has a very intricate guitar play. But what do you see is much more kind of riff, like heavy kind of riffs. And th- I think this change in sound pointed the way to the group's next project when, um, because International Artists was collapsing, the band moved to L.A. in the hopes that they could get legal help from the Musicians Union to extract themselves from their contracts with International Artists. And it was there in L.A. that they met the, and became friends with the band Steppenwolf. Oh, yeah. And uh, particularly with a bass player uh, whose name was Nick St. Nicholas. Okay, another fake name. This was a fake name. His actual name was Klaus Casbaum. Uh, oh, well, Klaus. Yeah. Wait, is that anything? Oh, I guess Klaus is a diminutive of Nicholas, so. I don't know what Cass is. Baum is tree, of course, so I, but I don't know. So. Hmm. 
a cask, maybe like of a, a fruit or something. I'm not sure. I don't know. But uh, maybe cherry. But I don't know. Oh, it could be. no. I don't know. Um, so they becomes friends with this guy, and he kind of became the band's quasi manager. Oh, okay. So he helped them get a deal with ABC Dunhill Records, and then uh, his wife suggested they went, needed to change their name, and so their wife suggested the name Damien, which was uh, a book by Herman Hess. Okay. Who also wrote the book Steppenwolf, which is where Steppenwolf got their name. Because Steppenwolf, when they first started, were called the Sparrows. They were a Canadian band called the Sparrows. Hmm. And they moved down to L.A. and they changed the name to Steppenwolf because that was cooler. I didn't know they were originally Canadian. Yeah, they were. Yeah. Interesting. And so uh, so the band needed to change the name partly to escape the contractual mess with international artists. So mm-hmm. by changing the name, they could kind of like say, well, we're not the Bubble Puppy. But also to get, escape the whole Bubblegum bubble music connection. Right. Which really didn't send them up. So it was as Damien that the band released one more album, uh, which was like this really kind of hard-rocking, self-titled album in 1970. Now, I'm going to play a song from this album, because I don't think many people have heard Damien, because they're kind of obscure. So even if you've heard The Bubble Puppy, or Bubble Puppy, as Mary likes to call them for some reason. Me and Wikipedia and their you, album cover. You just don't like... I know that you don't like the definite article, Mary. Mm-hmm. And you can admit it. It's fine. How about it's if true. I call them a Bubble Puppy? Is that better? Mm, no, I think that... Well... How about one bubble puppy? <laughs> one bubble puppy. We use <laughs> the impersonal Ugh, puppy. the impersonal pronoun. <laughs> one bubble puppy. So, uh, so this is a song from their album Damien. It's uh, called "No More Tenderness." So this is you'll hear. This is a bit more riftastic mm-hmm. than yes. uh, the normal uh, the sound we've heard from them before. So here we go, everyone.
right, and we're back. So, Mira, that was uh, pretty riftastic, you have to admit. It was, yep. So, and it's you so do like, of, uh, you know, riffing. I do like, I do like guitar rock, and I do like, I, I think there sounds pretty good. It's a bit, it's a little kind of heavy and kind of sludgy. Wait, I have a, for me, I have a but, joke. But I, 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 just, late, I do still like it. What's that? You like riff tracks. I do like riff tracks. So you like riffing. I do like riffing. Yeah. I don't like people riffing at movies though that aren't doing it professionally. Yeah. In a, like in when a we saw that Mandy at the Rio Theater in yeah. Vancouver, yeah. and this person who was like three rows behind us and was obviously uh intoxicated was making loud jokes and every terrible joke she made there was like a tittering of laughter and i was like stop laughing you're encouraging her (laughs) quit being polite canadians and then someone in the row behind us was like um can you please stop talking and i was like thanks thank you thank you did they say mom can you speak please no they said um um... please stop talking and i was like yes thank you and then after the movie i wanted to turn around and say thanks for doing that but then i didn't mayor because i'm shy yeah that's true i went and saw color out of space at the the rio oh yeah how was that it was very good oh cool i really enjoyed it i mean it was a schlock horror movie well yeah but that's what I wanted. I went yeah. to see a movie at 1130 at night at a movie theater. What do I want? Yeah. I want a crazy, a crazy gory horror movie. And yeah. That's what I got. Yep. I wanted to see a movie where a son get, or sorry, I don't want to give any spoilers. No, don't give me. No, no spoilers. spoilers. No spoilers, everyone. So uh, yeah, it's really good though. But it was the same thing. People were like, Nicholas Cage would say a line and then the whole, a bunch of people in the audience would be like, ha 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 ha. You're like, wasn't funny. Why are you laughing? It, it was Nicholas Cage. Yeah. He's hilarious. He's hilarious because he's a bad actor, right? He's like, no, he's not a bad actor. Sometimes for fun. He'll like go over the top in a movie, yeah, because that's what people want, and yeah. so he gets hired, and that's kind of part of his shtick. Yeah, but like he's not writing the movies; he's, not he's just getting he's getting paid for it. Yeah, exactly. It's like <laughs> it's like when yeah, I and I heard he's in a movie where like it's a horror movie. Yeah, and he's a dad in a horror movie. Of course, yeah. he's gonna go. He's gonna have some over the top parts in the movie. Sure, and also he um, the director of the film had told him how much he, he was a fan of Vampire's Kiss, which is oh. like. Which is like the ur over the top performance by Nicolas right, Cage, like right. it's just crazily over the top. Yeah, yeah. So he wanted he channeled a little bit of that sure. into the movie. Sure. And I mean, you know, I have um, I've watched a fair amount of ni- bad Nicolas Cage movies. Okay. I have listened to Flophouse episodes on many more because <laughs> okay. they've watched many, and they are big fans of Nicolas Cage. Okay. Not ironically. Yeah. They love him. Yeah. They think that he is a very good bad actor because, <laughs> or no, not bad, a bad movie actor because he has so much fun. Yeah. In movies, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's some movies that he just like totally sleepwalks through, and that's not fun. No. That's not what. That's bad. Bad. Yeah. Acting. Left Behind would be an example of that. Yeah. Or um, I think uh. Bangkok Dangerous. Okay, is another not, one that he I haven't seen that one was that they said was just like so so terribly boring hmm. because he's just like just not even a character in it. Yeah, like he's not yeah. doing anything. Hmm. He's just like there. Hmm. Whereas when he's like fun and like yelling and like jumping around and being crazy, like that's what you want to <laughs> see. Like in um, what's that the one with the bees? Oh yeah, that yeah. one where he's just running around punching women. Sure, you the, know the Wicker Man. Wicker Man, yeah. yeah. I've never seen it, just because I'm such a fan of the the, the, the real one, the yeah. real one that I just I don't even no, see someone wreck it. That's fair. That's why I like women. Yeah. No, I mean I think that there's there's some different themes between the two the two films. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, yeah but, one uh, is like Christianity versus paganism. Yeah, and one's like women are terrible. Am I right? Yeah. But it's, but it's <laughs> women. A, but it's an interesting film. Like The Wicker Man's interesting because it it's was made in the early 70s. Yeah. When like you would think like the people that the movie was aimed for the counterculture mm-hmm. were like on christianity yeah but really the movie is about like the dangers of paganism which is mm-hmm. that 
paganism, you know, part of paganism was human sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, <laughs> nature is not a kind mistress. Mm -hmm. So if you want to, if you need to appease it, you have to appease it in very in outrageous ways. Right. Because you know, eventually, yeah. what, what are you left with? You can start off with a lamb. Mm -hmm. And you're like, we could just sacrifice lamb. It'd be fine. And you're like, yeah, well, then, lamb's, then lamb's when, not working. When that doesn't work, what are you, what are you moving up to? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Once you get that kind of magical thinking going, yeah. you know. I remember um, listening to this uh, professor talking. He was, he was actually talking about Christianity. But one of the things he said was, when we stopped in, when we stopped believing in witches, that's when science happened. Hmm. Because once you stop believing in that things could happen magically, mm -hmm. you had to like examine how the world actually worked. Right. You know, which I thought was an interesting thing. Yeah. But anyway, well, yeah, I mean, you know, all all cultures have had a um, a a straw man. Yeah. You know, there's always been that person who you can you can blame for your crops failing mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, yep. And in uh, and the Wicker Man, the 2005 film, posits. Well, what if women were in charge and then they'd blame men for things? <laughs> and that would be bad. What if? What if? It's like um one of the well one of the hosts from the flop house, he he regularly complains about movies where um like uh The Hunger Games yeah. or The Purge yeah. where the point of the movie seems to be Look at this terrible thing. It's terrible. And then you as the viewer are like, I know. Why did you come up with this? And it's like the whole movie is trying to convince you, like, this whole this thing's terrible. And you're like, I know. I know it is. That's why we don't do it. Yeah. Why are you doing it? Yeah. You don't need to tell me that killing people's bad. I'm on board. Yeah. I kind of like The Purge. No, The Purge is fun. Hunger Games are fun, I think this. I like the second one better. Than, I think the first one's so-so. I, I don't think it's... Second one. I don't I think, think it, it kind of develops explores its the... Uh, the the craziness of the universe that they create yeah you know like it's it's essentially a home invasion movie the first one which you could yeah which you yeah. could do without a purge yeah yeah like it's it's essentially like the strangers yeah which is a better a better home invasion movie yeah. right yeah um, they have those spooky masks they have those spooky masks yeah yeah but no because really it's about a relationship falling apart oh okay you know uh-huh mm -hmm. <laughs> really it's about the dangers of not charging your phone <laughs> <laughs> and also why did you run that way yeah why are you running across the yard anyway i know oh, when people... you're well when you're well hidden yeah don't go running across the yard i know gee whiz i know it's like people going upstairs <laughs> what do you why are you going upstairs i mean the problem with that though okay here's the problem with that yeah. argument or that complaint yes is i go up the stairs all the time and i go down the stairs all the, into the darkness all the time right like i don't i don't think about it i'm not like uh oh do you want to go downstairs? No, There's no, no. a monster down there. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking yeah. about there is someone chasing you. Oh, okay. Why are you going upstairs? Oh, yeah. yeah. There, you, there's one There's <laughs> one exit point, and it is very easy to go down it yeah. and or to guard you, to guard it from, like, yeah, for yeah. that person to guard you from going down the stairs, especially in a movie like The Strangers where there's, like, three of them and one of you. Yeah. You know? yeah. Although I don't think The Strangers has stairs. I believe it's a, it's a one floor. One level cabin kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, we're going to stop talking about movies. What, are we on like the second song? We're on the third song now. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, let's keep going. Let's keep it going, Mare. What are we at now for? Oh my gosh. I know. This is... <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We might have to divide these shows up into four episodes. <laughs> All right. I think, I'm, I think I'm just chatty today. <laughs> you're chatty anyway. mood. We haven't seen each other for a while. I guess so. So um, this, this is the next song, Mare. Let's move on to the next song. So this is uh, Sparks, a band I rate very highly. 
And if you want me to explain to you why, Mary, I will. But let's listen to the song, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us, from their 1972 album. Does mm-hmm. it make sense? 1972 album? No, 1973 album. 1973 album. Kimono My House. Maybe even 1974 album. Why did I write 1972? How bizarre. Anyway, Kimono My House from, uh, by, this is, uh, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Here we mm-hmm. go, everyone. Okay. I'm going to guess that you thought this song Mm -hmm. was pretty weird. You know what, Dad? It's almost like you read my notes, (laughs) which just say weird. That's it. One word. Nothing else. Sparks is, well, Sparks is a weird band. And I mean, that's why I like them so much. Because you know what, Mary? Hmm. I'm a weird person. I like music. I like music that's different from other things you can hear. You know what I mean? Yes. So when I was growing up, you know, I could listen to Led Zeppelin, and I did. I could listen to ACDC, and I did. 
But I was more interested in hearing David Bowie. Right. I was more interested in hearing T-Rex. I was more interested in Sparks. I was more interested in groups that were kind of fell outside of the the listening, you know, like the kind of regular listening. I mean, I know people think that David Bowie was like a well-known sing- artist, but in North America, he wasn't very well-known. He'd had like a few hits, mm-hmm. but he wasn't like super popular here. Um, like, I remember go- I was in, I think, grade eight summer school math class. I walked into the classroom and there was another guy from a different junior high school in the class. And he had a T-shirt on that he'd bought the letters for and had them put on his shirt right and they said david bowie <laughs> that's all they said just in yes just in that very simple yeah kind of pet sounds style writing that mm-hmm. was you know you could buy all all you know for all your shirts I can't remember the name yep. of that style now that type of font but anyway courier new no that's type that's a typewriter font oh times new roman nope okay no. but it's uh Gar- so no you're wrong okay. anyway i could look it up on my computer but uh, it's there but i don't need to aerial light nope Nope, geek stop. The uh, <laughs> all too common, <laughs> all too common. So then, uh, he, yeah. So as soon as I saw that, I liked that person. Right. I was like, well, we are on the same page, you and I, right. sir, because we both love David Bowie. We love him. You love him so much. You went and had a shirt made yeah. that lets people know how much you like him, because mm-hmm. it was just so outside of the norm at that time. Right. You couldn't just go down to the store and buy a David Bowie T-shirt. No, and. There was no one you could talk to about David Bowie. Because mm-hmm. if you talk to someone about David Bowie, they call you gay. Right. Or a fag or something yeah. like that. So you just didn't talk to them about I Sparks. Mean, to be or... fair, you were listening to David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> or Sparks. <laughs> which are all bands that had like these sort of flamboyant lead yeah. singers. Yes. And, you know, and were, you know, kind of capitalized on this very kind of androgynous fey music yes. scene of glam rock of the early 70s. Yep. And, and were um, threatening masculinity. And we're threatening masculinity. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So Sparks, for instance, Mary, is a band that centers around two brothers. Okay. One, Ron, mm-hmm. other, Russell, mm-hmm. male. And the band began in 1967. It was called at that time Urban Renewal Project. Okay. Cool and they, name. And they did a four track recording with some friends mm-hmm. that has never, but for one song, has never seen the light of day. There's one song on it called Computer Girl, hmm. which is a very weird song. The rest, no one knows about they're gone. They then changed their name to Half Nelson. One word. Mm, less good. With a new lineup, including college friend Earl Mankey on guitar. Okay. And his brother Jim Mankey on bass and a drummer. Uh, Earl Mankey would go on to produce uh, kind of 80s bands, underground 80s bands, such as the Three O'Clock Mary that we heard a little while ago. Hmm. Now, on the advice of Todd Rundgren, the band was signed to Bearsville Records because Todd Rundgren was an engineer and producer at Bearsville. Because believe it or not, before Todd Rundgren was hired, became a popular solo musician he was hired as a producer s- engineer at Bearsville records okay after he left his band the naz and so uh he really liked half, half nelson and so he produced his album for them f- for Bearsville. the album was self-titled it was called half nelson and the album wasn't a success hmm. do you want to know why because it was weird hmm. yes and because s- it was like this song yeah right actually this song is is more normal than oh. than half nelson gotcha so okay. the band left Bearsville and signed with Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Changed their name to Sparks, mm-hmm. which... I'm sorry, Warner Brothers signed them? Yep. After those albums? After the first album. Uh, After first that album? album? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so they put in a, an, al- an album on, on uh, Warner's called A Woofer in Tweeter's Clothing. Okay. Which, uh, do you know what that means? A woofer? Do you know what a woofer is? It's a speaker and a, a oh, bass speaker. Yeah. And a yeah, tweeter yeah. is like the, the triple speaker. In a, right. In a speaker. Okay. Uh, that wasn't a hit either. 
hmm. in America at least. But there was some interest in England, so they went on a tour of England. Okay. And they did a residency at the Marquee Club. Mm-hmm. And they did a, an appearance on the Old Grey Whistle Test, which was a music show in England. And you know the, the reason you can tell it was a music show in England? Um, it was called the Old Grey Whistle Test. Yeah, I was going to say, because it had a pretty weird name. Yeah. Because here in North America, we had Shindig, mm-hmm. What's Happening, mm-hmm. American Bandstand. Mm-hmm. In England, they had a show called the Old Grey Whistle Test. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a rocking good time. Which, I guess, if they liked a band, they would play an Old Grey Whistle. <laughs> and there goes the whistle. <laughs> it's like a thumbs up. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... Um, Had a good beat and you can dance to it. Toot. <laughs> it's like... Uh, on YTV growing up, yeah. if a movie, they would like play movies yeah. and they would say, that's three hairy thumbs up. And then they'd have this like monster, this green monster hand with like three thumbs on it. <laughs> yeah. It's like that. <laughs> Perfect. But then they would just play the whistle. Yeah. <laughs> so on the assumption that they were a better fit in uh, England. in England than they were in uh Based in on the America. fact that England music was weirder. Well, based on the fact that England had, yeah, had the glam rock scene going on. And mm-hmm. so they kind of, the, you know... Uh, Russell's stage presence, which was very, you know, he's this skinny little guy with long curly hair, uh, with kind of very fey and very flamboyant. You know, it fit that fit that musical scene much much better than what was happening in America, where America pretty much consisted of denim clad wannabe cowboy posers. That was a music scene in America, so of course they were better than that. Yeah. So they relocated to England in 1973. They shed the original band, so they got rid of all their, the musicians they played with. Uh, they signed a new manager, a guy named John Hewlett, who had managed John's Children in the 1960s, which was a band that had featured Mark Bolin. And uh, they inked a new deal with Island Records. Then they hired a new band. Uh, and I do like, they ran an ad in the Melody Maker. Mm-hmm. The ad, ra- ad was, wanted, bass player for Sparks, must be beard-free and exciting. <laughs> Why beard-free? Was that, were, were, were beards like a, yeah. a sign of? Yeah, it was a okay. sign of something. Sign of a guy who is like a blues kind of like right. plodding, plodding. Someone who bass, would not. A head down bass player, you know. Yeah, someone who would not fit with their, their style. Yes, right. yes. And so now in the midst of rolling electrical blackouts and a threatened vinyl shortage in the midst of the oil crisis, Sparks began to record their new record under the assumption that it wouldn't get released because there wouldn't be enough vinyl to release it. Uh, as prime Anglophiles, they had wanted um, one-time Move Man, Roy Wood to produce, but he was busy so they hired steve winwood's brother muff winwood instead i don't know if the hired is the right word because muff winwood was already employed by island records so he probably was assigned to do the album and he streamlined the sound of the band he got rid of all the kind of eclecticism of the first two albums went out the door he just wanted like guitar bass keyboards drums that's your sound Mm. we're not gonna have anything else going on with earl Mankey and his brother jim gone most of the songwriting fell to ron mail Mm mm-hmm uh, with only two songs co-written with his brother. And now Russell has claimed that Ron only knew how to write in the key of A. <laughs> and it was too much work to transpose the music into a different key. So that right. so they just had he just had to adapt to how high it was. So that's why he sings it such a high Interesting. In such a high key in this song, is because it's such it is a high key. It's A is a very high key. So mm-hmm. he just had to like, you know, just let it just kind of let his voice go up an octave. Right. Uh Ron has stated that since he is the principal songwriter, it should be the singer's job to perform the songs as written. Right. You know? And his ori- original idea for the song was that Russell would sing a movie dialogue cliche after each verse. But this was simply changed to repeating the phrase, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Hmm. 
um, instead. I guess they couldn't think of any other cliches. No, actually, the song had a cliche name <laughs> originally. I think it was just decided that it was a it was a better it was a better hook fit okay. to have him say that over and over again rather than keep changing it. Sure. Um, so the band rehearsed the album in a. Condemned... I mean, it is a pretty incomprehensible song. So. Yeah, it's hard to understand what he's singing. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. not like like adding in. I mean, I know what he's singing now because I've listened to the song four hundred million times. But, sure, yeah, but, but yeah. like, yeah, if you if you haven't listened to the song four hundred million times, you probably wouldn't pick yeah. up on the intricacies. Oh no, no, it's very fast. It's very fast. Oh, every very... <laughs> everyone ends with a. Uh, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. Do, 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 do. Yeah, no, definitely not. Hey, okay. me, who's going to leave? <laughs> so good. Such a great song. I'm sorry they don't like it because this is such a fun, I don't, such I just, a fun goof. Um, I mean, you know how I feel about novelty songs. Okay. And there's always a place for novelty songs. There's always a place for fun in music, Mary. No, I agree. No need a place for, for somber, sour faces all the time. I sour agree that there. there's a place for fun in music. Frowny puss. I'm not frowning. Oh, oh, I'm frowning. <laughs> look, look like I'm doing a big frown. You look like Florence, Florence Pugh in all of Midsummer. Oh. <laughs> Trying to do that, like turning her whole face, yeah. her, turning her whole mouth upside down. Yes, yeah, she does. Oh. She does that so well. <laughs> Although she doesn't make that sound when she does. No, oh. she's pretty. <laughs> you're doing. You're in an audio well, medium, yeah, that's so the you thing. need to. Add, I need yeah. to. I need to yeah. audi audioly indicate express that I yeah. am yeah. Uh, frowning. Yeah, which is hard to do. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to express when we're gesticulating with our hands because we just hit the mics. <laughs> that's true. So that, that works. I know. I'm sitting on my hands right now. <laughs> I've got mine in my pockets. <laughs> We've both clunked the mic today. Are we Italian American or something? We, you know what? I didn't. I did, not in my. Not in your. Not in my not genetic in your genetic test. Yeah, I didn't come out. Hmm. Yeah. We are. What was it? Zero point eight percent Moorish. I'm. Yeah. What? One percent. One percent Egyptian, Arab, something or other. Yeah. Also, because you were also partially Spanish Portuguese. Another, also, another percent, yeah. Another part of me was Spanish Portuguese, yeah, yeah. which makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. of the um, Moorish invasion. I would not say invasion. <laughs> okay, was it a visit? Well, the, t- the Moorish visit tourist. Boom. No, it was. It was not because invasion implies that they came and went. They were there for like a thousand years. Yes, yeah, not a thousand years, but they were there for a while. Like a long time. But they were. They wanted to go farther, Mary. It was Charlemagne who stopped them from crossing the Pyrenees. So. Sure. So yeah, so it was an invasion. If you have to stop someone from visiting your country, well, it's you know, an invasion. That's fair, but I mean, everyone was invading everyone. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, no, I'm not. I feel like I'm not angry at them. I'm just no, saying. No, no, I'm just, I'm just saying that I don't. Let's feel call it what it is. I'm just saying I don't call feel a spade like a spade. invasion. Call an invasion an invasion. Invasion into France would have been the appropriate term, but I feel like their their time in um in Spain was something different. Well, it was an it was an invasion. It was an occupation. It was an invasion. Then it was an occupation. Yeah. But you have to have the invasion first. Well, sure. You don't have an occupation. You just don't. But I mean, invasion quietly. But no, sure. See, but, we seem to get a lot of Moors moving into the but neighborhood. But I mean, in, invasion, I feel like, does not properly articulate the impact that they had on the culture. Okay, that's fair enough. Which uh, remains to this day. Yeah. Did you know that something like 20% of Spanish words are, um, have an Arabic oh, root? I, yeah, I do know that because I took Spanish. Man. Oh, right, you did. Okay. <laughs> in fact, one of the main... One of the main weird things about Spanish is the subjunctive. Hmm. They love the subjunctive. Do they? They use it all the time. Oh, they use it for everything. That's terrible. Yeah. And so for people who don't know, who haven't taken romance languages, the subjunctive is a tense indicating, usually indicates wishful thinking. Yeah. Spanish use it though for things like that you're looking for something. So say hmm. you're, I'm looking for a store that sells scarves. Right. You would say, 
I'm looking for a store that's the cell scars part of it would be like in the subjunctive. Yeah. Because it doesn't exist. It's just a yeah, it's something like, that's. It's like I would I would be looking for a scar. Yeah. Yeah. But you're like saying that for everything. That's right. I Yeah. I'm looking for a store that would be selling scarves or whatever. Yeah. But they but one of the main subjunctive phrases mm-hmm. is to indicate something like, oh, I wish that. And that phrase is ojala que. Oh, yeah. Which is very Arabic sounding. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, enough Spanish. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, so it's been said, Mary, mm-hmm. yes, that Elton John bet that this song would not be a hit, and he was right. No, this song was number. Th- this song got was number one. What? Or number two? This yeah, song? in England. Yeah, in England. We're still talking about the same song. Yeah, right? yeah. By Spark. It was a huge hit in England. Yeah, mm-hmm. this song made this album made this band. So I'm just gonna say, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that that tin whistle. Yeah. It was. Can I point out that you like you like the song metaphor by this band? I do like the song Metaphor, but that's a fun song. But okay, I think the main difference yeah. is that in that song, yeah. I can understand what they're saying, so I understand the joke. Yeah. I think that there's like an issue with novelty songs where you can't understand what they're saying. Well, because yeah. a big part of novelty songs, yeah. for me, yeah. because a lot of the time novelty songs are also not very nice sounding. Hmm. A lot of the time. Yeah. So if you can understand what they're saying and you get the joke, that yeah. makes it easier to 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 take, you know? I think the song is a, is a good musical song. I, you know, I, me, I don't really the rate lyrics very. No, very I highly, know. So. But the truth of the story, actually, Mary, is uh-huh. not that he bet Muff Winwood that it wouldn't be a hit. Okay. Was that Muff Winwood was concerned that it was not the right song to choose a sing a, the single? Uh, okay. He was thinking this is the single, so he took the song to Elton John, and he said, mm-hmm. "What do you think of this song, Elton? You think this would be a hit?" Yeah. And Elton John said, "I bet you a hundred quid this song will will get in the top three." Huh. And Muff Winwood's wife agreed, and so that's what made him decide to release a song as a single. Cool. And both Elton John and his and Muff Winwood's right wife were right. Good for them. Yeah. And yeah, and like I say, that song was uh, kind of like the turning point for Sparks as a band. And but you know they never really had a hit in America until Cool Places hmm. in the early '80s. Right. And like they and then they. And they did a couple of al- song- albums like this, and then they like changed their sound. They they worked with Giorgio Moroder and had like a synthesizer Euro Euro disco sound for a right. while, and then they went back to a rock and roll sound. And then they had like a were they working with him in France or probably yeah. And then they did or Germany, and then they did like a synth pop album. And uh, I thought that he was mainly I thought that he was like German, but he was mainly he mainly performed in France. No, I think I think he record like I think Donna Summer recorded in Germany. Oh okay. When she worked with Moroder. Okay. Like I feel love and stuff like that. Those are all Marauder songs. Mm, okay. I think he recorded those in. Uh, I could Jeremy? be wrong though. I don't I know. Maybe I. I sometimes mix them up with Connie Plank, another oh, okay. well-known uh, producer. Okay, so let's move on to our fourth song. Oh, wait, finally, I, just, I want to say one more thing about the song. All right. They were not very popular here. Blah blah blah. But then, um, a comic book was named after them. That's right. So <laughs> you know, turn their fortunes just around. Just gotta throw that Sparks reference. Sparks the comic book. Sparks the comic book by Scholastic, written by Ian Booth, being drawn by Nina Matsumoto, and uh, colored by David Dedrick. Yeah, yeah. The new one's coming out, everyone, in August. Mm. August the 4th, I think. Mm. Cool. So, an interesting thing that recently that Sparks did was they performed live every one of their albums, culminating in a live performance of their newest album mm-hmm. at, in England, like at uh, the Barbican. So, there we go. So, let's move on to our fourth song, dear. Okay, what is it? So, this is a Preston School of Industry. Okay. From their uh, 2001 album, which I've written as Preston School of Industry, but that is not true. That is not true. That's not the name of this album at all. Hmm. Someone was falling asleep when he was doing his uh, notes last night. Hmm. So anyway, I think it's called something something a gas, what a gas or something like that, or 
life's a gas life is a gas anyway let's listen to monkey heart and horse's leg and when we come back we will i'll tell you the actual name of this album it's as from 2001 i know that's absolutely true okay everyone let's hear it
Okay, we're back, everyone. It turns out, Mary, what's, this, what's the album actually called? All This Sounds Gas. All This Sounds Gas from 2001. Yes. From the band Preston School of Industry. So after the, I think, painful dissolution of, of his first band, Pavement, mm-hmm. that he had formed with his childhood friend, Stephen Malkmus. Mm, yes. Scott Canberg. I am aware of Stephen Malkmus. <laughs> Scott Canberg, also known as, a.k.a. Spiral Stairs, formed the band Preston School of Industry. Uh, he formed this band with uh, a couple of guys, John Erickson, who played bass and keyboards, mm-hmm. and Andrew Borger, who played percussion hmm. and keyboards. Now, the group was named after the Historic Reform School in Ione, California, mm-hmm. that was opened in 1894, Mary. Mm, wow. And some of its more famous inhabitants were uh, the actor Eddie, Roche- or Eddie Rochester Anderson. Okay. Famous for his role on Jack Benny's show. You don't know that, of course, but he was oh. very well known. Country musician Merle Haggard. Okay. Heard of, heard of Merle Haggard. And beat writer Jack Kerouac's muse, Neil Cassidy. Hmm. Also, uh, Ken Kesey's muse when he was doing the uh, Merry Pranksters. Hmm. The acid-driven, acid-fueled Merry Pranksters. Hmm. Unlike Stephen Malkmus, who started off in the early days as a pavement as SM, but soon revealed that his name was Stephen Malkmus and just kept his name Stephen Malkmus. Spiral Stairs has long kept his nom de tune. Even his first band, after Pavement, didn't exploit whatever name recognition he might have had. Which I think is weird. Because now, Stephen Malkmus has claimed that Matador would not let him call his first album The Jicks. That they wanted him to have name recognition. Hmm. But they did not insist Spiral Stairs call his album Spiral Stairs or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. So I don't know if I believe that story from Stephen Malkmus. <laughs> yeah. Because I just think it's very curious like obviously scott he's like well i didn't want to have my name on it but they said i had to they said i had to what can i do what can i I couldn't say no (laughs) they didn't want to give me all this money but they were like we gotta and i was like all right sure i mean they didn't want to they didn't want to promote me more than they promoted scott from pavement you know but i was like well if you want to and they're like well we do (laughs) Stephen malcolmus anyway so Preston School of Industry released uh, an EP mm-hmm. called... Wait, sorry, this, this is the school or the band? Band. <laughs> they released an EP called uh, Goodbye to the Edge City. Mm-hmm. And then their second album, Monsoon, in 2003, before calling it quits in 2004. Mm. And then Spiral Stairs went back to calling himself Spiral Stairs. Right. For uh, most recent albums. But what do you think of the song, Mer? Um, I thought it started off weird. Okay. But then I liked it. Then you liked it? It, 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 uh, tur- it turned, me r- turned me around. Turned Tur- around on me. It turned around on you? Yeah. So why didn't you like it at first? Is this kind of too weird? Just Yeah, just a bit, like, not... I didn't find it very, um... What's the word? Appealing? It didn't sound good. It didn't sound good. Okay. Yeah. Which, I like songs to sound good. I see. Personally. And so this song with it kind of had, like, kind of some weird yeah. distortion at the beginning. Yeah, had the radio it just, sound. It just wasn't, like, very, um, uh, melodic. Yeah. You know, it's very I can see why I can see why he didn't succeed with this with this group. And I can kind of see why he is where he is, because I think Scott Canberg still kind of exemplifies the spirit of pavement from the 90s, which is very much like the slacker aesthetic. Right. Of the can't be bothered school yeah. of, of, of song craft. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm doing this. I'm not going to oversing this song. I'm going right. to be very me, very low key. Yeah. He's like, well, I won't like, you know, I'm not going to promote myself at all. Like, I'll just like, whatever, <laughs> yeah. whatever happens, happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is totally like 90s slacker yeah. thought, which is exactly why I'm where I am, because I totally I'm totally embody that thinking, hmm. you know, like that's this that was his way way it was when I came out of like 
for my generation. Right. That's just what it felt like. It just felt mm-hmm. like there was nothing there for us when we got out of school. Yeah. And like, it didn't matter what you did, you were, you were just effed. So yeah. you might as well just go with the flow. Mm-hmm. And that's all, it was either going to turn out or it wasn't going to turn out. Right. Either Which is you, why you have like five podcasts and you've, yeah. Putting, you're putting out your second graphic novel in <laughs> August. Yeah. You've got two great kids and a fantastic marriage. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. That's, yeah. <laughs> no, very apathetic person for sure. <laughs> Haven't tried very hard. Maybe I don't have. No, I don't have great self awareness. I, I don't know. <laughs> Who that? Now that you put it that way. All right, Maribel, you've uh, brought me up short. Have I? Yeah. Because sometimes you know you think you you think you're one way, but you're not that mm-hmm. way. You know. Yeah. I have terrible self awareness. Right. I pretty much if I do a, like any kind of survey or whatever, I have to get your mom to answer it for me. <laughs> that's that's true. Because I don't. I, that I, is true. All my answers are inaccurate. Right. My idea. About See, myself. I'm the opposite. Oh really? Where I have like extremely high self awareness. Okay. To the point where I also can't do surveys like that <laughs> because I will just answer them um, to get the result I want. Oh, okay. Rather than answering them. <laughs> Honestly? To, yeah, based on what I am or what I do. <laughs> so that's why I can't do any of those like, what kind of job should you have? Yeah. Because every time I do those, yeah. I just get the job that I want at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, so are you sick. So are you the same doing like those really elaborate ones? Like the... I don't know this. Oh, the, like this, the um those personality tests. Well, see, with those, I don't have enough. I didn't have enough. Um, like I've never gone into that with enough um, knowledge for knowledge. Of yeah. The different types. Yeah. Right. So I just I try to be honest for those. Mm, but, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um. But yeah, all of my counselors have said that I have very good self awareness, and I'm always like, I know. That's so, good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> I guess that, I mean it's good if you have. Cause, I mean, the problem with the other part, the pr- other side of the problem with that is. What if you don't like who you are? Mm. If you have that much self-awareness, mm-hmm. yikes. Mm. And sometimes it's hard to like yourself. Mm-hmm. I have that problem. Yeah. But apparently I don't know myself, so I don't know who I don't like. Right, right. It's very confusing for me. <laughs> that jerk who I'm not. What an idiot. Uh, Mare. Yep. You What's hear the next song? Another song. Okay, this band's called The Bamboo Shoot. Okay. Uh, this is a 60s song. Okay. From 1968. And uh, the song is called The Fox Has Gone to Ground. Hmm. And I think, well, let's give the song a listen. Okay. Here we go, everyone. Good, good, good sales pitch so far.
We're back. Uh, after I sold that so hard. Mm, you did. What's it called again? The Fox Has Gone to Ground. That's a pretty good name. It is a good I name. Like that song. I like that title. It's a really evocative song, I feel like. That's yeah. why I love this song so much. For someone who's not really that keen on lyrics, mm. this the lyrics to this song are really... Uh, sell it for sell you. Sell it for me, but also mm. the impassioned vocals. Right. I really like this, how like crazy the singer is, like kind of just singing away above, above everything. Mm-hmm. This band is incredibly obscure, Mary. Mm. incredibly obscure are they one of those bands where you look them up and you can't find anything about them yes that's exactly right sweet so you just got to keep looking until you find something somewhere did you maybe even a youtube comment by one of the band members that gives you a bit of information that you can have so yeah that was pretty nice so i have this in a very a variety of ways Mm -hmm. i think i have it in three different things okay i've got it on this album yeah i've got it on rubble three okay nightmares in wonderland which came out in 2003 okay I've got it on... And Rebel is a compilation. Yeah. Um, I got it on another compilation called Acid Drop Space Dust and Flying Saucers. That is a very good compilation. Psychedelic Confectionery from the UK Underground. Do you have that one too? Well, I have it via you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah I like that it's one. It's a Mojo one. It was Mojo oh, curated. Oh, it a Mojo yeah. one? Oh, okay. And then it's on a, one called... I didn't list this one. Uh, the, the Space Dust blah, 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 is from 2001. Uh, another one called Insane Times, which is a collection of, of uh, EMI tracks. EMI psychedelic tracks from the 60s. Oh, okay. It's oh, a very good one, too. Right. But sorry, Acid Drop Space Dust and Flying Saucers has My Friend Jack yeah. by Smoke, which is a sure. great song. Yep. Um, and Mind's Eye by Ramses and Selkit, which is mm. good, too. Yep. And I'm Not Your Stepping Stone by The Flies, which I also like. Oh, you like that song? Yeah. For the monkey's version, but okay. I don't know the monkey's version. Huh. Interesting. Oh, also, I also have my on my phone Father's Name is Dad by that's, Fire. That's a good one. I don't know that one, though. Do, 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 do. Oh, I also have on here Magician by Amazing Friendly Apple. Uh, there's probably a lot of tracks on there. You just... Yeah. No, those are just the ones because I only, s- I have select oh, ones you've selected? on my phone. Oh, okay. okay. So I like when I go through um, like iTunes to put songs on my phone, I yeah. carefully select the ones that I like. Uh, okay. Right? So like I don't have all of those. I don't have all of uh, Wayfaring Strangers, Ladies from the Canyon. Yeah, yeah. Etc. Mm. Mm. Or from any album, really. I just pick the ones that I want. Cool. You know? That's why I only have Para Highway by... Auto solve it. Yeah. One of any other songs. That's the best song by, yeah, by them. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. I think I have like, yeah, anyway, continue. So, uh, what do you think of the song? I liked it. Yeah, it's good, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is good. Yeah, it's very poetic feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I'll have to listen to it again, but pay more attention to the lyrics. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I did not the first time around. Okay. So, yeah. So, they're a Bristol based group mm, okay. uh, featuring Richard Matheson on lead guitar, Ray Wilson on bass, Richard Taylor, guitar and vocals, and John Bott on drums. And so the group was active in the latter half of the 1960s and recorded one single, one single in 1968 in Studio One at Abbey Road, which is pretty great. It was produced by David Paramore, who at that time was a staff producer for Columbia Records, which was a subsidiary of EMI Records in England. But um, despite support for John Peel on his program Top Gear, who played the single for eight weeks running, which apparently was very unusual for him to play a song, a single that long, but the single was stalled when the BBC banned it for suspected drug psychedelic contents. Oh, and apparently, ooh, apparently this was quite controversial in the band's hometown of Bristol, where the single had been released as part of the university rag week, 
and all the proceeds were supposed to go to charity. Oh, and next thing you know, no one could no one could buy it. That sucks. Yeah. So the drummer John Bott has denied that there were any drug references in the song, saying that lyrics were influenced by Chinese poetry. So lines like the evening crows are in flight, the messengers forlorn, were mixed with more contemporary urban images like uh, the opening of the song, you know, city corporation, you know. Uh, and then, and as I've, I remember when I talked about this, when I did the, when I did the original version of the, when I did this album, I think it was episode like 96 or something like that. It's a long time ago that, hmm. that it did it. Um, I think that I suggested at the time that the Gregorian chant in this, in the middle of the song, mm-hmm. uh, used image or elements images from t.s Eliot's uh poem the hollow men and i was right it is influenced by Eliot, so i was very pleased with myself and apparently during the recording of the song george harrison dropped by the recording uh during the re- recording session to watch the band and chatted with them between takes which is pretty cool it must have been so thrilling for this band of yeah. guys from oh, bristol totally. who would have been you know absolutely crazy beetle fans yeah just to be able to beat george harrison and and, and so, sorry what was the band called again the bamboo shoot and the song's called? The Fox Has Gone to Ground. Oh, the Fox Has Gone to Ground. Yeah. Okay. And this was the band's only official release. They did not get to do another single after this one, unfortunately, since it wasn't a su- success at this time. You know, you basically, f- you, sank or su- you sank or swam based on the success of the one single you were allowed to do hmm. in most cases. And, and unfortunately, this did not, this this thing they stuck through at the wall did not stick. Because in those days, record companies had no idea what they were doing. They just hoped for the best. <laughs> They're just like, let's just throw a bunch of stuff out there yeah. and maybe it'll make us some money. Sure. And I mean, which sounds bad. And it is bad. It's bad for the bands because they didn't really get the support that they needed to, yeah. to succeed. Because the labels were like, didn't work, move on. Whereas, you know, instead of like nurturing bands and saying, okay, well, that that's fine. It didn't really, you know, we had some trouble with BBC. We can put another album, another single out. We can blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. No, they're just like, ah, it didn't work. Forget about it. <laughs> the other interesting thing about this song is that it's called, the B-side is called There and Back Again Lane. Mm-hmm. Which is the name of a compilation for a label. Oh, now I can't remember the name of the label now. Darn it. Sorry, what? Uh, but an 80s label, like kind of an 80s, sort of mid, mid 80s, uh, very much part of the kind of uh, guitar pop, jangle pop sound of, of the 80s in England. Okay. And they had a compilation album called There and Back Again Lane. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's, I wonder if they're Bis- Bristol based and it's an actual place in Bristol that they, they use the name of. Oh, interesting. I should have looked into that more. I didn't. Sorry. Sorry, I was so excited that I found some any information about this song. I, I've neglected to like <laughs> look at what a rag week was or what uh, what there and back again lane might refer to, but that's fine. We got enough information out of that. That song, that you, song is great. You though. write it as a real uh, street name in Bristol. Oh, okay, there we go. Yep. Oh, is it? What's the compilation album called? Sorry. Put, look, look up the just put like there and back again lane compilation or whatever, and see what you get. Um, and meanwhile, meanwhile, I will uh, introduce the next song. From Sarah Records. There you go, yeah. August yeah. 1995. Yeah. 1995? Oh, but it's a collection of 80s stuff, but yeah. Yeah, that's when it was released. Yeah. There you go, Sarah Records. Okay, they must have been a Bristol-based record company, record label. Cool. All right, thanks, Mary, for looking things up that I should have looked no up myself. No problem. So, uh... I have a phone. <laughs> let's, uh, let's give a listen to the next song, everyone. This is a band that both Mary and I like, so I, I know that she liked this song. Oh, wait, wait, sorry. One more thing. Oh, sure. Uh, there and back again, Lane. According to uh, Sarah Records compilation dot com, yeah, is a short dead end alleyway just off Park Street that was mostly full of bins. <laughs> but it's such a great name. It is. It must have been like a dead end street. Yeah, that's what it. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah it's dead end alleyway. Okay, dead. <laughs> yeah, such a great so it, name. Yeah, it says that this album yeah. um, comes with a thirty eight page booklet. Oh. 
and a photo of Bristol's most famous landmark, the Clifton Suspension Bridge, uh, <laughs> which extraordinarily wasn't featured in any earlier releases. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, also took its title from the short dead-end alleyway that was mostly full of bins or garbage cans, as we call them here. I guess that's a new release because my, my copy of that album does not have a... You know, I got it used, though, so maybe the person who had it before me didn't. Well, it actually says here... Um, a photo of Bristol's most famous landmark, brackets, the Clifton Suspension Bridge, yeah. which extraordinarily hadn't featured in any earlier releases, almost like this had been the plan all along huh. to release this later version of it that um, that oh, okay. had all this stuff co- yeah. like compiled together. My, my version doesn't have a booklet in it either. I'm a little, a little jealous of people. Well, you can you can uh, get a PDF of it. But you know what's, you know what's bad nowadays? Mm-hmm. Is that you can only buy records of things. Like no one sells CDs anymore. Yeah, I you know records are okay. Like I'm okay with buying records used. Yeah, like for a couple bucks at a thrift store. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to buy a new record. I don't want to pay twenty bucks for something that's going. It's degrading the minute it's put into a package and being shipped to me. Yeah, it's already on the downhill. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I get it and listen to it, I'm destroying it. Yeah. At the same time, I listen to it. It's like crazy to me. Also, you can't play it in your car. That also is bad. Well, you could, but it would be very very elaborate. <laughs> yeah, it would setup. not. Wouldn't work very well. Anyway, I'm sorry, Dad. What's the next song? The next song is Destroyer. Okay. And it's That's the song? No, it's the band Ooh. is Destroyer. Okay. A band you like a, a little bit. I, I do. I like them. I like Destroyer. A little bit. Yeah. What's this song? This is uh, Beggars Might Ride from their album Street Hawk, A mm-hmm. Seduction mm-hmm. from 1998. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Let's give this song a listen, everyone. Beggars might ride you into doing one thing. When humiliation gets taught, and humility does not have the ability to move a muscle, don't do the hustle. Beggars might ride you. Head of the sea versus the scenery. Ride you 
Heard it said, hand it's true for someone so beautifully scarred. I imagine it must be hard to stay away from my life. A public relations, but try, girl, you've got to try. You've got to stay critical or die. Stay critical or die. All right, so we're back. Um, Mary, I think this is pretty much a perfect album. Destroyer's Street fourth, Hawk of Seduction? Destroyer's fourth album. Interesting. Um, and sort of the culmination of his early period. So from um, we, we Will Build Them a Golden Bridge, I think it's called, to City of Daughters, mm-hmm. to Thief, mm-hmm. to Street Hawk of Destroyer. Street Hawk of Seduction. Or uh, Seduction, sorry. It's, uh, it's kind of like, a, and it's an amazing, it's an amazing upward curve of, of, uh, of of like uh ability as well of, of like how good he got from right. like the very very rough yes very lo-fi yes tape recorder on a table yes. sound of city of not city daughters of uh we will build them a golden bridge we will build them a golden bridge what it's called yeah to uh the city daughters mm-hmm. step up yes definitely thief another step up mm-hmm. to finally street dog seduction street dog seduction a very good album a super good album do you like, think it's so his good. best album I think it's his best album. Really? Better than Destroyer's Rubies? There's songs I love on Destroyer's Rubies, yeah. but there's songs that I don't like that much on Destroyer's Rubies. Like Trembling Peacock. Agreed. No, Trembling Peacock is from This Night. Is it? Yeah. Oh, for some reason I thought it was on Rubies. But more and more the kind of like fall stuff that's on there, like the the one, uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but the Priest? No, not Priests. Oh, there's two Priest ones because there's Priest Knees. That's good. Which is good. And then there's another Priest one that so I agree is not. Kind of a long one. There's a couple yeah. of like songs that kind of draw from this night as as a as a kind of a sound it's kind oh, of okay like to me to me uh destroys rubies is a combination of this night and street house a seduction and sound it doesn't really draw very much from your blues mm-hmm. which is sort of a midi based album mm-hmm. but but uh for this night and street a seduction kind of both end up on on destroys rubies so destroys rubies has songs that i really like that really kind of draw from that street hawk sound that i, that I like but i think street hawk seduction is a, is a stronger like overall album from beginning to end. I just love it. I think it's a really good album. And I really like the sound of it too, with that kind of hunky-dory era Bowie sound that it has mm-hmm. in terms of the, the musicianship. I think it's just great. So yeah, so and that is the secret weapon of this album, is the piano playing of Jason Zampano, who had played with had played with Carl Newman, Dan Behar's bandmate. Dan Behar, of course, is Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, even though he says it's a, always a collaborative project... The reason that he is Destroyer is because it's not always the same people he collaborates with. Right, yes. So because he changes bands from album to album and also sounds from album to album. So some one album might sound this way. The other album might sound like a synthesizer project. The next album might have more guitars. The next album might be horns. You just don't know what you're going to get. And often it's good. Sometimes it's not good. It just depends. I found like his his not his most recent album, which I've not, not heard. It just came out. But his one that came out last year, Ken... I thought was unlistenable and very dull. Right. But other people have said it's great. Yeah. I just think I'm just sort of out of step with Mm -hmm. what people are listening to now. Yeah. Yeah. I think Duncan's favorite Destroyer album is Kaput. Yeah. Which to me is I don't like it very much. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no... Where are the tunes? I know. Where are the tunes? I know. We're always listening to it and I'm always like, "Mm, there's better ones. (laughs) Uh, Sick Priest Learns to Last Forever. Yeah. I don't think it's that great a song. Which I think is a lyric in another of his songs. Yeah, I don't know. Which is Destroyer. Yeah, very which destroyer, is very Destroyer, but... yeah. But 
Yeah. Yeah, I just... Yeah. No, Jason Zampano played in uh, a band called Zampano with Carl Newman, who, of course, is uh, Dan Behar's bandmate in The New Pornographers. And so he played plays piano on this album, um, along with a couple other guys, including John Collins, the who plays bass in The New Pornographers, and also plays in The Evaporators with Nardware, the human serviette, hmm. with his friend David Carswell. Okay. And he and David Carswell, John Collins and David Carswell, run a studio called JCDC Studios, which is where this album was recorded. And that's kind of where the turning point for, for Dan Behar was, was when he started working with John Carswell and David, uh, sorry, John Collins and David Carswell. Uh, it really upped his game in terms of sound, and it really upped his game in terms of, of arrangements and musicianship. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was kind of the prompting of those guys that kind of, and they started with City of Daughters. Yes working with him oh i do want to say something quickly about city of daughters which sure. is that it has um i think three of my favorite destroyer songs on it space race mm-hmm. something about high school school and the girls who go there school and the girls girls go there. what's the last one no cease fires oh that's good too yeah yeah it's a good album but once again it's very up and downy yes oh and yeah I, and i feel the same way with thief like thief has some fantastic right songs on it's it it's highs are high and it's lows are low it's lows are low yeah yeah and i heard that there's a, been a remastered version of it oh really which I'd like to get because uh, my complaint about that album is it's very muted. It, oh, okay. Like uh, Falcon's Escape, Canadian Lover, Falcon's yeah, Escape. which is a good song. It's a great song. Yeah. But when you like put it on your iTunes, it sounds like it's being listened to through Kleenex. <laughs> like a layer of Kleenex yeah. over the song. This is really muffled for some reason. So I wouldn't mind hearing a... Because a remastered the, version. The re- interesting thing about JCDC Studios mm-hmm. is that uh, for the longest time, it was located in West Vancouver in the basement of David Carswell's parents' house. <laughs> Same. And it wasn't until his parents sold their house <laughs> oh, that uh, how could they? they had to they had to move the stu- their their studio. So they moved to a place on West Van- and on West Hastings. Okay, they were in the upper story of a building in West Hastings. And when that building, when they got renovated from that building, well, yeah, they moved to a very very striking building on West Hastings or in East Hastings mm-hmm. that says Ted Harris Paints on it. Mm. Do you know that building? Mm. Oh, if you drove by it, you'd be like, oh, that one, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, where where in East Hastings? Um, kind of just. Going past China, uh, past Chinatown, past the the um, what's that what's that um, neighborhood called there? Strathcona. Oh, okay. Just on the other side of Strathcona. Okay. As you head towards the the overpass, like the overpass. Is it in like downtown East Side? It's, it's on the outskirts of downtown East Side. Like, okay, this is not interesting as you audio. Head, as you head towards commercial. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but oh, it is like okay. Yeah, I mean okay. it's still part of that prob- problematic area. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, they're getting renovated from there now too, because I think the rent was twelve thousand. A month, twelve thousand. Yeah, and uh, it's Vancouver, huh? Yeah, Vancouver. they were also living there. That's the thing; they're also sleeping on no, the floor. No, they weren't living there. <laughs> they weren't living there. But yeah, they have to find a new place now. Crazy, crazy. Hmm. Well, why doesn't one of them just buy a house? Sure. Just... The problem, the problem is though, is you've been paying twelve thousand dollars a month for rent for your studio. Yeah. So where, where has your down payment for a house been going? Yeah. For oh. your to your studio. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, it's renting is a trap. It's a yeah, it's a terrible trap. Hi everyone. Welcome back. <laughs> we, just, we went briefly down real estate road there. We're back. We're back on all this talk of music reno- reno- renovations, <laughs> renovations and such oh, things. Oh, Vancouver. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, speaking of Vancouver, mm, yes, we're gonna we're gonna do another song. Oh, by a band that is from a, Vancouver. From Vancouver. Is it this like the story from Vancouver? No, it's not New Pornography. Is it AC Newman? It's not AC Newman. Is it Mohawk Lodge? You're right. Oh, Mohawk Lodge. Okay. From their album Wildfires from 2007, uh-huh. and the song that we've heard recently mm-hmm. on this very show, mm-hmm. played by my copycat daughter. Um, 
Who played it first? <laughs> Got me there. Let me just say. Got me there. I just want to say that I played that one before you. Got me there on this on this mixtape I made in 2015. Wear them out, everyone. Pretty sure I made mine in the Mohawk Lodge and Wear Out. And Mary, I'm going to assume you like that song since we just recently played it off of one of your uh, mixtapes that you brought in during the Save Dave 
save dad from dying under <laughs> yeah. st- work stress. So, um, yeah, uh, obviously I, I like the song a lot too. Um, I first heard it as on a compilation and just thought it was fantastic. It blew my head off. It's just a real... Uh, it's a good song. It's a real rocking, fun. fun song. The singing in it's really passionate. It's yes. a nice song. Um, so as you're saying, this began as a side project for singer-songwriter, writer, Havdale. Yes, Canadian. As an outlet for songs that didn't fit as other bands these days. It was one band, and the other da- band was called Second Arrows. Mm-hmm. Second Arrows, for yeah. people who aren't Vancouverites, is a uh, part region on the of an inlet, the Burrard Inlet, where it narrows. So they built a bridge across it called the Second Narrows Bridge. The Second Narrows Iron Workers Memorial Bridge is what it's yes, called. Yes, and then there's the accident. first Narrows as well. The first Narrows, which aren't as narrow as I guess they're. That's where the that's where the Lionsgate Bridge yeah. is. Actually, yes, that's right. So and, yeah, so those two bridges, the Lionsgate and the Iron Workers, yeah. people will also call them the Second Narrows and the First Narrows. Okay. Okay. I often hear that from people who I know who live in that area or take those bridges a lot i see i see interesting which people when i worked at camp most of my co-workers would take those bridges a lot yeah because they connect vancouver to uh north vancouver and west vancouver yes, which is across right. the inlet yeah yes so uh now i have to say that havedale mm-hmm. is a master of self-promotion mm. because most of the publicity when you read about this album stresses his role as the band's songwriter right but if you look at the credits of the album, mm-hmm. two of the songs are co-written by producer Daryl Newdorf, Newdorf yes. and Dan Beckner, uh-huh. who uh, is in a band called Wolf Parade, the Montreal-based band. Okay. And the rest of the songs on the album are written by Newdorf. Really? And writer Havdale has no credits at all on the songs. Huh. Now, I don't know if the credits I'm looking at do not in- are just for the music and not for the right. lyrics. I'm not absolutely certain. But... Where did you see that? On uh, Google on Google Play. And so um, let me talk a little bit about Newdorf because he has sort of an interesting career as well, which I kind of know from another friend of, of ours who played keyboards with Sarah McLaughlin and, and helped write songs for her. Uh, Newdorf started off playing uh, drums for 5440, the Canadian band 5440, played with them for about four years before moving into producing, engineering, and songwriting. And uh, one of his first projects that he did after leaving 5440 was working with Sarah McLaughlin on her first two albums. And basically what her record company, which was called Network Records, wanted was they they found a few people, a few you know songwriters in Vancouver who were willing to work with Sarah McLaughlin and basically help her to make her first couple albums. Now, Daryl Newdorf did that and a friend of our a friend of ours did that as well. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so... Now, what happened was Newdorf eventually sued the label, not Sarah McLaughlin necessarily, but sued her label because he felt that his contributions were not credited, not fully credited, nor was he paid enough for his services. Hmm. And so he went to trial, which our friend who had signed an NDA had like gotten paid out by the, the label for his work and had also signed an NDA. Uh, he testified at the trial, but he couldn't talk to us about some, a lot of the facts about it because hmm. of the NDA he'd, NDA he'd signed. Right. And so, uh, but in the end, of the, in the end, the judge ruled in favor of McLaughlin in terms of credit. He felt like that, you know, it seemed like the credit had been evenly split as far as you could cal- tell because no one really knew exactly what people had done as they, were, as they were working together. Right. But that he hadn't been, he agreed that he hadn't been paid enough for his work. Okay. And so he did get a compensation, a financial compensation for his, his work. Uh, so Newdorf ran a little 
a studio here in Vancouver for a little over a decade called um, Miller Block, which was named after the building that it was it was situated in. And then he uh, in the in the uh, I think around 2004 he left he left Vancouver mm-hmm. and uh, moved to uh, actually well he left earlier from Vancouver I think he left in about early 2000s went to Toronto lived in, worked in Toronto for a while in the, in studios and then he and his partner uh, bought a kind of like a recreational area north of Toronto okay and turned that into a studio facility. Hmm. Called uh, I think it's called like Northwest Project or something like that or North, yeah Northwest I can't remember what it's called North, North, North sorry Northwoods that's what it's called Northwoods anyway so Wildfires was recorded there and the other curious thing about Havdale in terms of uh, is he named his uh, record company that he releases that he you know we cr- he created to re- you know f- to release other bands but also to release uh, Mohawk Lodge and and stuff is called White Whale Records and I thought that was interesting because it's the name of a reasonably well known Los Angeles-based label mm-hmm. that was the home of the Turtles, mm. which was called White Whale Records as well. Oh, okay. So I thought it was kind of interesting that this guy seems to make a point of uh, boring other people's work and calling <laughs> it his own. But there you go. That's it's still a great mm. song. So I'll and I'll forgive I'll forgive him for that. Were you trying to look up and see if I was wrong on that uh, information? No, no. I was just I was I think I was getting him confused again with the other. There's another. Um, guy who i had talked about on when i did laundromancer who was like a one of those people who is like a one-man band and is in like a bunch of bands but he's the one who had been arrested i thought that was havdale no i think that was someone else okay okay i can't remember yeah no i know who you're talking about but that was uh steven kosmeniak from boy and you you got it mixed up because it was you thought he had been arrested but it was actually Ryder havdale who got arrested for some sort of contretemps with this girl in Point Roberts. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess I didn't write that down in my notes then or something. All right. Did you write some notes for this song, Mary? Did you have? Did you write an opinion for this song? Well, I already talked about the song last time. Yeah. I like it a lot. Okay. I don't... I feel like I've said enough about it. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move on then. We'll move on to another song. Mm-hmm. So uh, the next song in this playlist is... Field music, believe it or not, everyone. I know what? that is crazy. Surprising. It's kind of embarrassing when you're when it's like it's fine because mm-hmm. everyone who got these mixtapes they didn't know what were on other people's mixtapes. No, and they also didn't know who field music was. Probably not, and they weren't like going like field music again. Yeah. Whereas now everyone who listens to the listening party mm-hmm. is saying in one voice in unison, "I can hear you all." Mm-hmm. Field music again? I don't think so. No. Because, well, I mean, maybe some people don't like field music. Yeah. But I mean, they're just an artist that you were passionate, that you are passionate about, that yeah. you wanted to share. Yeah. Because you felt like they weren't as popular as they could be. Yeah. Right. Like That's true. you could say the same thing about other bands that you prominently feature, like Sufjan Stevens and Bell and Sebastian and Stereo Lab, and um, what Destroyer you mm-hmm. have a lot. Yeah. No fun. No fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bands that are yeah, very, very dear to me. And, you know, like, yeah, exactly or, uh, right. Uh, who's that band that does Bubbles and Kites Are Fun? Free Design. Free Design. Yeah, that's another too. band. That's another band that I think of uh, woefully underappreciated yeah. for, for what they what they brought to music. And, yeah, you're right. I mean... Yeah, it's not like you were sending people just, like, you know, an all-field music compilation. Or, yeah. Oh, Sloan. Yeah. Sloan, another one. Yeah, I mean... I mean, because part of the idea of this project was that I was going to introduce ba- people to bands that I liked, but, but I thought maybe they hadn't heard before. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, if I was sending a, a mixtape to a Scottish person, it's highly unlikely that I would put Bell and Sebastian on it. Right. Because I would assume that they knew Bell because Sebastian. of where they live, they're yeah. more than familiar with Bell and Sebastian. Or like if you were sending one to someone who lived in Vancouver, you wouldn't send them the new pornographers. That's right. Or, or Destroyer. I would or assume Destroyer, that. Yeah. Maybe Destroyer. Because I would, maybe I would just assume that, you know, this person's not going to know. Yeah. What a dummy. I know. I don't know for sure. But, but you know what I mean? Like they're just not going to. Yeah. There, there's bands that are regionally popular. Yeah. Um, and you, so you don't want to give them to someone who is from that region Yeah. because they will know them. Yeah. But bands that are regionally popular, you want to send to people who live outside that region so mm-hmm. that they can experience them. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's part of it. And then, you know, like you say, there are bands that you maybe at that time, like particularly for me at that time, 2015, I was absolutely in love with field music, in love with field music. And music, had been for yeah. the past three years. Yeah. Four or five years. Yeah. Well, I mean, new stuff was coming out, so I was yeah. always refreshing my interest in them. But yeah. I was saying 2012 specifically because that's when we went to England and yep. you bought every Field Music album and we listened to Field Music exclusively. I bought two Field Music albums. I think you bought every single one, all of them, and we listened to them exclusively. I think I think you might be right. Yes. I'm not sure. I don't I know. I know I bought Field Music, their first yes. album, and I know I bought Tones of Town, their second yes. album. I'm not sure that I bought Measure, I think their you third did. album. But I, I, all I remember is I did I did play an awful lot of tones on town, and I didn't really I didn't really like field music the first album that much mm. at that time because I was so in, enamored with the second album the it was hard for me town. to it was hard for me to hear um, the first album on, like with an honest ear because I was so you know biased right but anyway let's listen to field music everyone this is uh, in context speaking of tones on town from tones on tones town, of town sorry tones of town I even wrote it as tones of town here but I. You know what? You know how it goes. Uh, Tones of Town from 2006. So here we go.
find it all something I never knew Abstracted from a little test Of air between hours stopped and waiting for us A breath tired of waiting for you A breath tired So there's not much to say about this album, Mary. Because we've talked field music to death. We've talked about them quite a bit. Let me just say, though, that this song... Is good. Well, it's a good song, but it's mm-hmm. also great to run to. Is it? The, ryth- the, the, the rhythm of the song, mm-hmm. it's just perf- a perfect running speed song. Interesting. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. it. So I always, if I'm, I like to put on this album when, I, when I'm running, mm-hmm. and just when it, this song comes on, it's exactly like at my fastest part of the run. Right. And I just love it. It works That's perfectly good. for me. Uh, what do you think of this song? Um, it's not my favorite field music. It's not my favorite field music song. Okay. Um, but I do like it. Okay. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. What's this one called again? In context. In context. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I just, yeah, I do like it a lot. I gotta yeah. tell you. I mean, it's no, she can do what she wants. My favorite field music song. <laughs> okay. Fair or, enough. Fair enough. Uh, working to work or tones of town. I can't remember the other one that I really like. Uh, working. Um, yeah. Tones of town. Yeah. It's hard to say. They're all good. I like all the songs. You like all of them. I don't like field music as much as you do. But there's only one song in that al- that album that I'm not that keen on. I think it's Kingston. I think it's called. Hmm. Not my favorite. Well, because the there's Working to Work and there's Tones of Town, and one of them I like and one of them I don't like. Oh really? About working to Work? Because Tones of Town you like? That's the one with the like the string section in it. Okay. Oh, it's boring to people. Let's. I, uh, I don't know. Anyway, anyway, it's fine. Let's Ooh. not bore people. Sorry. Let's not bore them with my, my boringness. Mic stand thing. That's fine. Let's move on to the next song. Sure, let's move on to the next song, which is another band that we've already played. Mm-hmm. Yes. I like them a lot. Yes, you do. Uh, the, we've had them on. The we've leader. Had them the, guest, guesting. Both of them, both members of the band were very good friends of mine at one point in my life. Mm-hmm. When, when, is still, when, when still is. Mm-hmm. Very dear to my heart. So, uh, of course, I'm going to tell people about this band. Yes. And about, and about an album that I think is one of the best albums that have, has ever been made, mm-hmm. which is called Snivel, mm-hmm. which came out in 1984, which was a double cassette album. Okay. I came in a box set. That's how ahead of the time, how ahead of its time this album was. That you went to the record store and you said, I would like to get uh, No Fun Snivel. And they had to reach under the counter and then bring up a box for filing papers in <laughs> that had been turned into a box set with two cassettes, a booklet, which I showed to Mary earlier. I still have the booklet in the classic. Uh, now it's turned yellow. The, the plastic overlay has turned yellow for me. It wasn't always yellow? It wasn't always yellow, oh, okay. no. And then it has with the little green uh, hold the little kind of green bar on the edge that clamps the plastic mm-hmm. onto the paper, and inside it has 
lyrics, which is very rare for No Fun to print lyrics, because David M is not a fan of lyrics and albums. He thinks that you should have to try and listen to the song and figure them out yourself. <laughs> but uh, in this case, they decided to go all in. So you get all uh, four, four sides of the album mm-hmm. for a snivel. And it's sort of like a dump. He, he put a bunch of different titles for each side to get rid of some of the uh, album names that he thought of that he couldn't <laughs> he didn't figure he could use. So the first album is subtitled, or first side is subtitled Dogs Are Smart. Okay. The second side is Agreed. subtitled Arcane Chit Chat. Okay, good. The third like side is uh, subtitled Woodstock Super Jam, mm-hmm. exclamation mark. And then the final side, final side is uh, When Things Became Hopeless, hmm. which is true that is a very hopeless side. Hmm. It ends with a, with a three song punch to your gut. Hmm. It's really great. And then... Um, <laughs> Of course, it was it was made at some big deal studios, which is i.e. Uh, David M's parents' basement, right? Yes, where I've, all the all the tracks were recorded there yep. onto a four track Ampex recorder. Yes, I've been to David just, M's parents' house. Many just times. like, uh, did you ever go downstairs? You must have gone downstairs. Uh, yeah, well, I went down there one time when we were cleaning out. Um, we were cleaning out, or David was cleaning out um, a bunch of stuff, and we went there and I got some DVDs. Oh, okay. okay. I got a box set of um, Hot Fuzz. Oh, that's right. And a Titanic box set. Very generous of him. Yes. I've wa- I still watch that. I haven't watched the special... F- well, I watched the special features a few years ago, but Duncan and I keep meaning to watch the special features. On the Titanic one? Yes. Mm. Yeah, the uh, one, the Hot Fuzz one is also stock- chock full of Ooh, special features. Sure it's crazy. It's like seven different commentary tracks yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And then the fun part of the album is that it's... it's uh, do you know how fast... How many RPM, Mary, which means revolutions per minute? I know what RPM means. For a... a a uh, album for uh, for like a regular record. Do you know how what the RPM is for that? Eight hundred. Thirty three and one third revolutions per minute. Hmm. So this is, I was too high. So this album has thirty three and one third songs on it. What? How does it have one third of a song? Uh, it's there's a there's a sketch on the end of side one called Tribute to Elvis Two. Uh, okay, right. Which, which yes. features the Kang, okay, the uh, very well known local uh, Elvis impersonator. And so that is given one third of a song. <laughs> so from that point on, everything is eight and one third, nine and one thirds from then on. Yes, it's very confusing. That, that when one only has like are. three lines of lyrics in the lyric book. There you go. That's it. That's the one third, I guess. And so, yeah, so it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a very fun package. And, and of course. It has that old style of photocopying. Yeah, I don't even know if I've played the song yet. Nope. I don't think I've ever been talking about it. Okay, well, sorry about this. I've gone into the You also haven't said the, the name album. of the song I'm gonna or say who that. it's by. I'm going to say, I said no fun. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is no fun. This song is um, uh, Ambivalence Bracket Gets Me Bracket. Okay. From, as I said, Snivel from 1984. Let's, yep. let's give this song a listen, everyone. Here we go. Let's look for temples and swamp mosquitoes and find the stuff they ground up into freedoms. Let's go to town. We make a pretty pair. 
bad. Yes. Do you like no fun? I do like no fun. Sometimes it's hard to tell. <laughs> <laughs> when my enthusiasm runs away with me. When I like when bands. you spend like 13 minutes talking about <laughs> something that the viewers or the, the listeners are not able to see because they're not viewers. They're listeners and you were talking about a piece of visual media. I'll, I'll take some pictures of it and put it on the, okay. put it on the page. But uh, yes, I love this song. And uh, this song was my companion when I was working on the fishing boat. I would, often, I would often sing this song to myself while I was <laughs> off, uh, during off times when I was just kind of sitting around waiting for a fish to bite. And I would just sit in a bucket looking out at the sea. Mm-hmm. Very comfortable. Yeah, sounds and, uh, bad. Singing this song. Sounds cold. No, no, it wasn't windy. cold. It was, it, was, it was summertime. So I was often just sitting in the sun, uh, pleasantly singing this song. Right. Yeah. As, long, as well as With Me Tonight, the uh, song by, by the, the Beach Boys. It's another good song to sing. While you're, you're, bucket, while you're an, sitting on a bucket. <laughs> in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. Waiting for fish to bite. So Mary, Ooh. what did you think of ambivalence gets me? It was okay. It was okay? It was fine. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that you didn't like it. I just, the lyrics or the vocals are very nasally. Mm-hmm. And I just, don't I, like... I don't find it very good sounding personally. Okay. And I find it hard to get past that. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, it's a stumbling block for some people. Like, some, past, people some people like Steely Dan and. Swimming pool. Yeah. By No Fun. Yeah. And that one, the lyric or the vocals were, um, I liked the vocals on that one. Yeah. Quite a bit, but. Yeah. Uncle David changed, or David M changed his, uh, sorry to you, so I want to call him my uncle, but <laughs> David M changed his singing style, um, sometime after Ghost Paper Boy and Robin's Gate Trailer Park, because he found singing live that it hurt his throat mm. to not sing in his natural kind of, uh, whine. Right. His nasally whine. You know, so like Donald Fagan of Steely Dan or Neil mm-hmm. Young, he had to return to his uh, real voice. His nasally roots. His real voice, yes. And I've said before that there is a song on on uh, uh, The Night Smells Like a Dog called No Wine Before It's Time. Hmm. W-H-I-N-E. Mm-hmm. And uh, yes, that's... Uh, he admits it. And yes. Why not? Yeah. And if you can't get past it, it is a problem. Yeah. But uh, I, I have no problem with that. And I, I love that song. Love it. I love the, I love the, uh, I guess it's the bridge. Mm-hmm. Just the do, 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 boo, 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 do, 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 do. I love that part of the song. Cause it kind of, it's such a nice, it's such a nice, um, contrast to the very, very percussive dun, 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 very much very sort of martial almost very right. straight ahead and then to go to that very melodic bridge mm-hmm. i just really i really like that i think it's very beautiful good good so there so there mary no i'm glad that you like the song and i'm glad that you love no fun so much <laughs> okay well let's move on to an artist that you like then yes because he doesn't sing in a doesn't sing in a uh nasally voice, nasally voice. he sings you in could a, say that this is he sings in a whisper he the sings opposite. in a he sings in a very, very quiet. Yes, he Not does. very powerful voice. He's very, um, he's a very soft man. He's a very soft, soft singer. So this is Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Yes, by? By Sufjan Stevens. Yes, who, who I love, who from, I love. From the album, Illinois. From the album, Come On and Feel the Illinois. I'm sorry, Mary, it's only listed as Illinois. <laughs> the rest of that is just a bunch of fumfery. That's on that the album, it's on the album cover. It's on the album cover, but it's not how the album's listed in, in, in uh, anywhere. It's Illinois mm. from 2005. Mm-hmm. Jacksonville. Let's give it a listen, everyone. Mm-hmm. 
the black man running He's got it right, he's got a better life coming And I don't care what the captain said I folded right at the top of my
us a wine. Okay, Mare, what did you think of Jacksonville? I love that song. I love that song. I love that song so much. I love the strings at the beginning. Yeah. They're so beautiful. Yeah. I love his singing. I love the story of the song. I love everything about the song. It's a great song. Yes. Okay. Well, I guess that <laughs> sums it up pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I, this is, uh, I, we, I mentioned it to you before, but um, you were, you. Me? Mary. Moi? Was it you or was it Eve? I believe it was me. But what what are you talking about? You were uh, at a campsite. You were at a school camping trip. At, at Evans Lake at when Evans I was Lake. in grade 6, when 2006. You're, yeah, when you were in grade 6. In 2006, yeah, I guess mm-hmm. so. And so I was over there and I was listening to some compilations, some uncut compilations. And these were ones that had been compiled by um, Mike Mills, okay, Peter Buck, and Michael Stipe. Mm-hmm. Each of them, I had to buy three magazines in order to get the three different compilations because they all came on... They're all depending on which, which magazine you bought. was depending on which compilation you had. Right. So, of course, I had to go buy three different versions of the magazine to get all, all the various CDs because I'm a lunatic. Mm, and yes. uh, True. Wait, I didn't ask for you to agree with that, Mary. <laughs> and uh, so um, I believe it was the Mike Mills one. Oh, no, I think it was the Peter Buck one that had this song on it. I didn't really like the Michael Stipe one very much. I'm not very sympath- symp- I'm not very sympathetic with Michael Stipe. Mm-hmm. But I like the Peter Buck one because it had this song on it, and I really like the the, the Mike Mills one because it had some like older band, like sort of older mid '80s or '80s bands from okay. from Georgia, from Athens, Georgia, okay. which I really liked. But anyway, so this song came on, and it was just so great. Like I kept repeating it, like listening to it over and over again as I was driving to to out oh, to because I, I was um I was relieving your uncle who had gone up there and was supervising. He was supervising half the week, and then I was driving up and supervising the rest of the because week. Because my cousin is the same age as me, and we were in the same class, yeah. in the same grade. Same grade, at the same for, school. Yeah. At the same school for two years, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, so so your uncle did did uh, part of the part of the uh, looking the out for. Because, I... yeah, the, uh, we had to have parent um, chaperones up there. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so exactly. you, you guys... Uh, joint volunteered so that you weren't each missing a full week of work. That's right. And I did the same for Eve as well. I was just there for half a week. Mm-hmm. But I instead of doing the last days, I did the first days with Eve. Right. So, so yeah, so this just blew up in my head. Like, I had never, I hadn't, I had heard one song by Sufjan Stevens before. I didn't realize it. It just didn't make an impression on me. It was from the album Michigan, which is more of a slow grower of an album than Illinois. It is. And so, yeah, I when I came back, the first thing I did was drive into town, go to Zulu Records, and buy two Sofiane Stevens CDs. <laughs> I got Seven Swans and, and this album, because uh, the Avalanche wasn't out yet. And so, I uh, yeah, like it, it's it's crazy. It's Stevens' fifth album. Mm-hmm. It's a double album in length. Yeah, it's basically seven, seventy-four minutes long. It's very long. It's seventy-four minutes of music and interstitial honks and beeps. <laughs> and then it was followed by the Avalanche uh, a year later. Mm-hmm. Not even a year later, at, at a little over 75 minutes long. So two double albums in a row. And both of them are really good. And both of them They're are, not tiresome double albums. No, and both of them are about the state of Illinois. Both of them are about the state of Illinois, which apparently has a lot to say about it. Uh, I get, obviously, Stephen's most creative period. Like, he's never... I think it kind of broke him, too, actually, this period. Oh, probably. I don't... Because, I mean, the other thing is, to a lot of people, um, a lot of people sort of got on board with Sophie and Stevens at this point. Yeah. And Me included? 
Yes, and and that's not bad because oh. he had this is sort of his um his most his easiest in point. Yeah. I believe and it's they're very very fantastic albums, but also at, up like up to this point he had never made two albums that were the same. Mhm. You know? Yeah. Like if you look back at at his albums, his first album was like wacky. It had like uh, mix mixtures of um, like very noisy, super riffy songs that yeah. were like not very melodic. Kind of grunge, kind of grungy. Had yeah. like uh, comedy bits <laughs> with like him and his or jokes about him and his siblings. Well, it, had, it had like tape recorded comedy bits from when they were kids. Yeah, as well. tape recorded comedy bits from when they were kids. It had. Um, some songs that are pretty good, but m- most of them are like strange. And then his next album was uh, "Enjoy Your Rabbit," and that was like very um, wh- uh, it's it an electronic album. Yeah, it's an electronic very experimental, album. Yeah. Very experimental. I I believe it's fully instrumental. Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's any singing on it. No. And and there's one good song on it. And there's one I okay. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to listen to if you, and it's also very different from his first yeah, album. I mean, right? it's a it's a it's not a bad album. It's but it's something that you want to listen to while you're doing something that's kind of like reading. Like yes. it's, it's more like something that you want in the background of yeah. something. Yeah, like yeah. at my work, it's not a foreground album. No, at my work we have um, Spotify. Yeah, because we have to we play music for different work things. Yeah, and so I was I was doing something on the computer. I was like working on something, and I was playing. Um, an album of his and then it automatically went into enjoy your rabbit and i was listening to a bit to it for a bit yeah and i was like this is fine to have it in the background but it's yeah. not something that i would like devote my full attention to right no yeah exactly exactly yeah and then he put out michigan which yeah. is like very soft like very soft very like indie folk raw or folk um stylings right and then his next song was very religious next album yeah or, yeah so his next album was um seven swans seven swans and that was yeah. very very religious still had some of that folky element but it was like more it had a, a sort of more orchestral sounds than michigan did yeah and it had a lot of very um i don't know like it was, it was very church inspired it was right? it was obviously uh took a lot from took a lot of uh, stuff from religion but also it was a bit more expansive too it had sister yes which featured like a seven minute long guitar solo yeah. strangely at the beginning of the song before it went into a very quiet part <laughs> yeah and then it had the transfiguration which we played on the show yeah uh which is a basically a, like a homemade orchestra mm-hmm. you know of him playing just sort of doubling up you know doubling tracks of, of him playing different instruments yeah uh you know building up a this kind of uh home homemade symphony orchestra mm-hmm. um for that song and a very, very kind of Steve Reich uh, inspired sound yeah. to that song. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. Then we kind of come to, to and then uh, yeah, and then we go into the two Illinois albums, which are basically which are, a con, almost like a conflagration of of those albums into yeah, one album, into one thing. And so people come in and they say, "Oh, okay, this is you." And he yeah. says, "No, that's not me," because he has always always resisted labels yeah yeah right like the reason that he jumps around between all these different genres is because he doesn't like being labeled right like he sort of veered away from making more music like seven swans 
uh, and went off and joined the welcome wagon, which is like a, a more overtly Christian act yeah. because he didn't want to be labeled a Christian artist, right? Yeah. Because that yeah. puts you in a box. He doesn't want to be put into a box. But then when he get all, got all these fans from Illinois and they were like, oh, this is what you do. This is what we like. Do more of this. And he was like, well, I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want you to like define what I am. Yeah. Right. And then, and then, so then he puts out Age of Odds. Yeah. Right. Which is like very, very different from, um, very different from Illinois mm-hmm. and from Seven Swans and from Michigan. Yeah. But more, is similar to Age of Oz. Yeah. And, or not Age of Oz, sorry, is similar to Enjoy Your Rabbit and, you know, has similarities to um, A Sun Came. You know, like, it, and I remember talking to so many people who, after Karen Lowell came out saying, oh, I'm glad Sofian's returning to his roots. It's like he's <laughs> not. His last album was returning to his roots. Yeah. Like, saying that Karen Lowell is returning to his roots is doing the thing that he doesn't want. Like yeah. is it's him returning to the type of music that you like. That yeah. doesn't mean that he's like returning to his roots and he's like going back to what he should be doing. Sure. Right. Like, yeah. People defining what he does is but, something that he, he doesn't want, yeah. you know, don't forget but, his, don't forget his es- orchestral work. The B- BQE. Yes. The BQE. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, um, he has been doing soundtrack stuff. He's mm-hmm. been working on, um, on like a, a, an opera kind of wow. like he, he's a very, um, yeah. Like so much of the stuff that he does is not listed on his like discography because a lot of it is collaborations with other people. And yeah. a lot of it is not released as studio albums. Mm. Right. Um, and yeah, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, I have a lot of thoughts about Sofia Stevens, but that's good. Well, you know, um, I forgot to mention something earlier when we were talking about field music. I was going to mention to people that there's a new field music album out. Oh, right. Which it came out in January. Came out in January. I can't remember what it's called now. I went to buy it and I couldn't. I couldn't find it on. Uh, I couldn't find it on Amazon. It wasn't available there. But uh, it's um, it's kind of a concept album based around World War One. The changes that it wrought on our on our century since after it, hmm. uh, which they were. They were, um, I guess, hired to do, which is not the right word for when you are brought into an art art exhibit or a museum exhibit. But they were commissioned. Ah, there's a word. Yeah, they were commissioned to to do write these songs for a, for a, a exhibition in England, and so they took that and they created their, this album. And uh, but also, Mary, yeah. there's a new Sufjan Stevens album out, which is a collaboration between him mm-hmm. and his stepfather Lowell Brahms, okay. called Aporia. Oh yeah, yes. Which is a. I think that one's coming out in March, isn't it? Yeah, it's coming out in March. And it's a it's a squonk fest, right? It's a synth it's a synth driven squonk fest. Yeah, uh, Lowell Brahms is not a musician, mm-hmm. so he's just an inexperienced uh, keep uh, synth enthusiast. <laughs> yep, who likes to make squonk noises. So sure. that's what we're gonna get. I mean, that's what Planetarium was like too. Yeah, that's kind of well. No, it's more music. It's more song driven, but it's what Planetarium it's, was. Yeah, it's v- very ambient though. Yeah, Planetarium is. I mean, again, it's uh, it is returning to his roots. Yeah, that's a collaboration of, with the National. Yes, it is it, with the National. Yeah, I thought it was with someone else. No, with Aaron oh. Dressner and all those people from the National. Uh, and then um, no. What's wrong? It's not. No. Oh, you know it is. No, no, sorry, sorry. Yes, <laughs> but it's it's actually uh, it's with Bryce Dessner, Nico Muley, and James McAllister. Oh, okay, okay. It's not with that guy you said. Oh, Aaron Dressner is yeah. different. Different Dressner, and yeah. then uh, and then he has another one out that's came out between the Planetarium, Decalogue? the Decalogue. Yeah. So that's that's the one. I thought it was an opera, but it's a ballet. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So I still have to get that one, and then and then I have to get Aporia, but Aporia is interesting because it's um, 
it's a real celebration of his relationship with his stepfather. Yeah. Which, which is pretty, is, which is an amazing story, really. Like, yeah. Like, I'm going to tell, well, should I tell it now or should we wait till we do a Carrie and Lowell song? Let's wait till we let's get to Let's wait for Carrie and Lowell. Let's wait for Carrie and Lowell. That song. album is about that his, relationship yeah. with, his, with his parents and his mom and his, yeah. mom and his stepfather is a big part of that. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll I mean, wait till that. This, it's a pretty ama- yeah. amazing story, but we'll get and into it. And Jacksonville then. is a very good song. Yeah. But it is not a personal song, you know? No. Like, you're Sufjan right. makes. He's very good at writing music that makes you think, is this a real story or like, is this not a real yeah, story? Yeah, exactly, you know, yeah. like um, the song that I played on um, by Sofiane, Henny Buggy Band. Yeah. That has lyrics about like the car breaking down in the snow and like all the kids having to like walk to school by themselves. Yeah. And like. And it's like, like, how much of that is true? Yeah. You know, yeah. like there's a lyric in a song by Carrie and Lowell about his mother breaking his arm yeah. by accident. It's like, is that true or is that just like a lyric? Yeah. And, yeah. but he's, he's so good about at like writing these songs that could be real, have could the germ be not of, real. Have the germ of truth Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. there's, there's enough in there that you think like. Yeah. Casimir Pulaski Day from Illinois yeah. is a great example yeah, of that where yeah. that's a. Uh, a song that has so many little details in it that makes it feel yeah, like his, so his, real. His, he ran outside and his shoes were untied. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. And like they were like in, um, in the church basement, and you you touch the collar of my shirt, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Like, yeah, yeah, it's um, the dad drove his car into the navy yard. And yeah, just these weird little yeah things that yeah, it just makes it feel so grounded in reality mm-hmm. that you just, you're like, but then you also know that he also has a degree in creative writing yeah so and was a was a children's book editor mm-hmm. you know while he was while he was building his career yeah and it's like so. it's like so like yeah how much is real and how much of it is just him being like a fantastic writer yeah who yeah. like yeah can sort of create these situations mm-hmm. these like beautiful sad situations right yeah yeah that's pretty amazing so like i say i do think that this i do think the pace of this creative period really did him some harm I think the Age of Odds is kind of like a PS PTSD uh, album. Oh yeah, you know, like a real oh, feels yeah. like a real. But I mean, it feels like a real withdrawal as well. Kind of yeah. like a kind of like I don't want to do this sound anymore because everyone loves this sound and it's c- crushing me with. Yes, they're crushing me the with expectations. Their, their enthusiasm. Yep. So I need to like to back everyone off a little yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's also Sofiane Stevens is very obsessed with outsider art. Yeah, and yeah. like that is a thing that I think he has always expressed, mm. right? Like even, even on the avalanche, there's a song called the Vivian girls are visited in the night yeah, by yeah. St. Demetrius and his squadron of beautiful butterflies or something, <laughs> which is, um, which is a reference, a reference to like the largest piece of outsider art yeah. in the known world, which is called the Vivian girls, which yeah. was written by this guy who was like, you know a total weirdo and he had all this stuff going on and he worked as like a hospital cleaner and then after he died there was all of these manuscripts that were found in his house and they were all like seven thousand pages long and yeah um and yeah all of his all of his stuff is like in a museum and so age of odds as well was inspired by royal road no i always want to say royal roads but that's a university yeah Royal royal something yeah something it's something alliterative mm. um who was yeah who was an, an outsider artist from the south i believe yeah and yeah and actually at the um at his tour at sofian's tour for age of odds he had all of this um this guy's art he was he was like projecting it onto yeah. the screen behind him yeah during um i believe the song age of odds yeah yeah i use it quite a bit yeah 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 no it's pretty great so 
So, Mare. Yes. Illinois. Uh huh. Is as you said is the second is part two of Stephen's uh, fifty oh, states project. Sorry, hold on. Do you have actual notes about this? Should yeah. I just not talk about Sophia? Yeah, I've got actual notes. Okay, about it. sorry. It's fine. Yep. I don't mind. I like oh, your, Royal Robertson. I like your enthusiasm. Uh, yeah, his fifty states project. The concept. So the idea was that he was going to rate. 50 albums about each state in the United States. Mm-hmm. A concept that was most certainly hi- more hype than a, than an indicator of any actual intention. Because it's hard to imagine anyone spending 50 years writing music that would include Delaware and Idaho as part of its... <laughs> I maintain that yeah. Delaware does not exist. Delaware exists. It does not. It does not. Duncan and I did a big um, road trip a couple years ago. Yeah. And we saw, um, I think, like four license plates for four provinces, three provinces in Mexico, and 49 states. Yeah. You know, the we saw Hawaii yeah. and Alaska. Okay. We did not see Delaware. <laughs> and um, and then... You probably just didn't notice, because Delaware is the one you always forget when you're trying to figure out... Yeah, to, but then the next year, I was the reading um, the Bill Bryson book, The Lost... No. Not the Lost Continent. The one that the one about him um, road tripping through oh, the United walk, States. Walking the Great Divide there. The, no. The, or what is it called? That that mountain range. The. No, no, not no, that, not that one. Into the woods or something. It's called. No, it's no, it's about him um, driving. He's talking about growing up in um, in Idaho. Oh. And and then he does like a road trip in the states. Oh, I have not read that one. It's really good. Huh. Um, yeah, his books are good. But yeah, he talks about Delaware and he says, I believe Delaware does not exist. <laughs> and I was like, proof. <laughs> Bill Brayson agrees. All right, well, if anyone out there listens or anyone who listens to the program lives in Delaware, let us know because then we'll have to believe that. Because it's a then place. we'll have to know that you're a fake person. No, <laughs> we'll have to know that it's an actual place. So Stevens produced and recorded the album himself. He played oh, most. Oh, it is The Lost Continent. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Lost Continent, okay. Yeah. He played most of the, tr- most of the instruments except the drums. That were recorded remotely to uh, backing tracks. Mm-hmm. Most of the recording was done in S- Stephen's apartment and in friends' apartments in Brooklyn. The piano parts were recorded in a local Episcopalian church. Yes. Because he didn't have a, a piano in his apartment. And because he's Episcopalian. And because he's well, his friend's Episcopalian, Father uh, Vito. Mm. Oh, yes. Who's uh, the guy from the Welcome Wagon. Man, I feel like I should play a song from the Welcome Wagon now that you brought them up. We don't, oh, well, I just briefly mentioned them. Yeah, but, but I believe Vito... When are listeners going to hear the welcome wagon? But I believe Vito is also mentioned in a song from Michigan. Yeah. Vito's Ordination Father Vito's, song. Father Vito's Ordination I don't think it's song. called... I think it's just called Vito's Ordination Oh, just, song. yeah, Vito's Ordination song. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then uh, some parts... Dad, I'm a Sophie and Stevens historian, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I've heard you are. <laughs> and some parts were recorded at his friend Daniel Smith's recording studio in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. The Rec Room. where the rec room. Where uh, Seven Swans was recorded. It mm-hmm. had that has that great organ sound there. Mm, yeah. That you hear in... Uh, he woke me up again, for, mm-hmm. for instance. Uh, Stephen, but it's also on a couple of songs on Illinois. Stephen's played, uh, like I said, but he what he did is he recorded just like he recorded in Pro Tools, mm-hmm. so he was able to like do like multi track, like millions, right? Not like uh, someone like David M, who you know had a four track recorder, and mm-hmm. you know when you bounce a, when you bounce tracks tracks down, you had to be careful because you would just create denser and denser noise pockets yeah. by bouncing tracks, so you're really kind of limited by how many. Uh, you could record mm-hmm. now jacksonville mm-hmm. is its actual town in illinois mm-hmm. was at one time the largest town in illinois really it's uh educational center of illinois it has two colleges there oh wow has a school for the deaf and blind okay and it has one of the first prisons in mm. illinois there okay. as well uh so 
so the song is a typical, kind of typically like sort of impressionistic Sufjan Stevens song about mm -hmm. his subject. Mm -hmm. None of his songs ever really like are full of like definite information. A lot of them yeah. kind of leave stuff in the They're air. They're very vague. They're very vague. Yeah, even like something like Sleeping Bear, uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Sault Ste. Marie. It you're like not even sure if like what he's talking about is real or where yeah. where he's which side of Sault Ste. Marie he's talking about, mm -hmm. the Canadian American side. I'm pretty sure he's talking about the American side since it's on an album called Michigan. I know, but the way it's, it's the way it's written, it's really vague. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it doesn't describe everything exactly as it is no, there. No, you're, you're right. So, so the town is named after Andrew Jackson. Mm -hmm. At that time, was not yet president of the United States. Mm -hmm. He was famed as the commander of forces at the Battle of New Orleans, mm -hmm. and he uh, was in the running for the presidency. Okay. And so, when this town was being planned, mm -hmm. he was the natural go-to name for your town because sure. he's a hero, war hero, and yes. was going to be big, big deal. Yeah. No one, he wasn't problematic then, Mary, is what I'm saying. Well, no. Because... People people uh, rarely are problematic in their time. Yes, that's true. Uh, but Jacksonville was actually a very forward-thinking town, even at that time. Hmm. To have a school for the deaf and blind, yes. for one thing. Mm -hmm. but and also, to have a prison. But also, it was, a, it was a, a stop on the Underground Railway. Oh, good. So... Hence the lyric, I'm not afraid of the black man running. That's right. Um... He's something, got a, something. He's got a, he's better, got a life, better life, life coming. coming. That's right. Uh, so yeah, the opening lines reference the Underground Railway, mm -hmm. which had stops in Jacksonville. And what I love about, I learned this when I was looking into Little Women, little women mm -hmm. was that people, people who had, were in charge of stops were called uh, railways, they were called station managers. Yes. Which I really like, I really like yeah, the idea that they had a, like the full metaphor for yeah. the Underground. It wasn't just like a later on idea of what it was. Yes. You know, like kind of like calling something like the Highway of Tears or mm -hmm. something like that, where it's like, you know, you it wasn't called that at the time. It's just that's what we call it now. Yeah. But no, this was actually at the time was called the, the yeah. Underground Railroad. The, the and one they you're used thinking the metaphor. of the Trail of Tears. Trail of Tears, sorry. Highway yeah. of Tears is the one up oh, that's in right. Canada. Yeah, yeah, sorry. The Trail of Tears, which wasn't called that at the time, obviously. Yeah. It was that it's a later a na mm -hmm. later appellation. But this is, was, you know, at the time you were a station ma master. Yeah. It had stops. Yeah. It had, yeah. It's kind of cool. When yeah. I was a little kid, mm -hmm. I thought that the Underground Railroad was a real railroad. Yeah, yeah. So, I can understand that. You know. Yeah. But it would have been really cool if it was. Right? Although and hard to hide. Hard to hide. The smoke coming hard out of the ground. <laughs> hard to build. Hard to hide. Uh, yeah. So Harriet Beecher Stowe, the author of Uncle Tom's Cabin, mm -hmm. her brother was the president of uh, Illinois College, which was located in Jacksonville. And the third and fourth lines reference Andrew Jackson Smith, a black soldier in the Civil War, mm -hmm. who, was, who carried his regiment's colors after the color man was killed. And he was a runaway slave and uh, was the Medal of Honor recipient. Hmm. The song also references Helen Keller. Mm -hmm. Yes. Famously deaf and blind. Yes. Did Connect she attend that school? Connecting her. To yes, she did. She went okay. to a speech. She didn't go to that school, but she went She went there as a guest of honor to that oh, school. Because okay. she was, uh, I guess, later. Well, she was a person who humanized blind and deaf people. Yes. Or blind, blind and or deaf people. Yes. Um, because she was sort of a celebrity. Mm-hmm. For in her time, for yes. having overcome something that was at the time seemed to be impossible to mm -hmm. overcome, to be both deaf and blind. Yes. To not only not be able to see, Do, yeah, see but or not hear, be able to hear but what's not happening. Be able to communicate yeah. or know what's happening around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know that's the perception at least. Mm -hmm, for sure. Uh, the song also references the story of A. W. Jackson, another Jackson, Mary, mm -hmm. a slave of Thomas Clark who was lost in the prairie grass on his way to a town called Diamond Grove. He saw some surveyors laying out the plans for what would become Jacksonville. Hmm. 
So he asked them, he went up to them and asked them how he could get to uh, Diamond Grove. And after giving him directions, the surveyors asked his name and he replied, A.W. Jackson. And they told him that since they were laying out this new town, and since he was the first black man in the area, they're going to name the town after him. <laughs> Which is, of course, not true. No, but that's... Probably a little prank, but uh, he later became an alderman of the town, the first black alderman he? of that town. Oh, good yeah. for him. And he was like, this town's named after me. You gotta be alderman. <laughs> gotta be alderman. They're like, it. well... <laughs> <laughs> when you put it that way, we gotta agree with you. So, yeah, so... He was like, my name is Andrew W. Jackson. And one of the things I love about the song, Mare, is what I think of as the backwards backwards instrumentation in the yes, song the strings the beginning what the strings and the banjo playing as well yes. like if you listen to the chords it's like it's like uh stevens is playing these things in reverse of what you would normally would hear and i'm just going to play a little snippet from mm-hmm. the, the strings at the beginning of the song which are you going to play it forwards or normally i'm going to play it normally and then i'm going to play it backwards so okay. people can hear it uh so here we go everyone Yeah, so I think that's kind of cool. It is. That you can hear like what, you know, you can kind of hear what would be like a normal sounding riff mm-hmm. in any other song where Sufjan's taken that and reversed it. Yeah. Kind of like what the Beatles did on Revolver where they kind of made a point of, okay. for several songs of reversing riffs, reversing right. uh, chord sequences. Of to putting create. secret messages in backwards for Charles Manson to hear later. <laughs> Stuff like that. They only did it on the Beatles, the, the, the also known as the White Album, Mary. <laughs> yeah, right, That's why it was called right. the White Album, because yes. it was about the white race. No, you're, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, Helter Skelter, etc. Um, <laughs> but yeah, because that string part at the beginning, yeah. I've always thought that it was peculiar sounding, yeah. but I could never sort of I like I don't have the musical knowledge to articulate why. Yeah, yeah. You know? But yeah, but. it's like he's yeah he's just reversed like taking like a normal riff and reversed it, which is very yeah. intelligent because it gives the song a different kind of feel to mm-hmm. it than oh, it totally. normally have. Oh totally, and it's it's so it's such a distinctive sound to start a song with. Yeah, and you could do it with the banjo part, but there's just too much happening around it in order to get like a distinctly backwards part there. But right. it's nice with the strings because they're just by themselves, mm-hmm. so you can do that there. But anyway, yes, everyone, Sufjan Stevens, hashtag great. Yeah, he's he's all right. Just kidding, I love him. Obviously, <laughs> he's right in your wheelhouse. You're just at that perfect point when you first heard him you're just heading into your tweens mm-hmm, yes and uh, just you're ripe for a good looking young man I to appear in your life stole that album and listened illinois and i would listen to it falling asleep every night for like a year you must have been so thrilled when we went to see him live like, i at was that, that year i was so you saw him on that tour you guys tricked me though mm. because when i opened my christmas present yeah it was a set of earplugs <laughs> And I was like, thanks. <laughs> That's cool, I guess. And then you were like, we're going to see Sufjan Stevens. And I fainted. I didn't really, but you know. I went to school and I told everyone and they said, Mary, you're so weird. We don't want to be friends with you. And I was like, cool, let's hang out. Because I was like very, uh, just like totally Soci- unaware of what was. <laughs> socially awkward. Just like Not me. even socially awkward, just like blissfully unaware. Yeah, that was me too. Yeah. I know I, I can pick up any social signals. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm, I'm, I'm still the same. I still can't pick up social signals. It's great. Although some, I've gotten to the point now where I can tell when people are bored by me. I was talking about this on Sneaky Dragon the other day. Oh, that's nice. I can tell. I just, But it might not be real though. I don't know. Right. Like it just might. 
be people aren't bored. You I, might I, just be like anxious. Yeah, it's more it's more yeah. anxiety nowadays. It rules everything I do. All right, man, we're heading into the final song of this side of this this playlist. Okay, I, I imagine it's gonna be someone new, someone I've never heard of before. After we've had like <laughs> a bunch of songs on this side in a row from people that we've heard a lot of songs from. No. Oh, who who is it? This is Balance Sebastian. Oh, okay. Coming coming in doing. again with the Balance <laughs> Sebastian song. This this person, he's an American guy living in this. I'm the joking. The American South. He I'm probably just joking. He probably doesn't know Scottish pop. No, I know the way that we know Scottish I'm pop. I'm just I'm giving you a hard time. Mary, I feel bad now. Don't feel bad. What's this song? The Stars of Track and Field. What was it? The Stars of Track and Field. Dad, you need to articulate. <laughs> Mary. Yes. The stars of track and field. Okay, from from their album. Yeah. If you're feeling sinister. Okay, from what year? It came out in 1996, man. Okay, maybe we should listen to the song. And you yeah, can sort of, uh, and then it's gonna. Clean X or something. I'm feeling a little reclamped. Okay. You hurt my feelings. No, you hurt. Okay, me. Let's, let's you didn't play. hurt. You you hurt my feelings, but not that much. All right. I didn't hurt your feelings. No, of course not. It was not. just a joke. <laughs> it was joke. a joke. Mine was a joke too. <laughs> We're a couple of jokesters. Let's listen to Balanced Fashion, everyone. Make a new coat every day to suit your affairs Kissing girls in English at the back of the stairs You're a honey with the following of innocent boys They never know it because you never show it You always get your way they never know it because you never show it you always get your way have you and her been taking pictures of your obsessions cause i met a boy who went through one of your sessions in his blue velour and silk You liberated a boy I never rated Now he's throwing discus from Liverpool and Witness You liberated a boy I never rated Now he's doing business Stars of track and field you are Stars of track and The hours spent, the wilderness in your training You only did it so that you could wear Terry underwear, feel the city air run past your body Your Terry underwear, feel the city air run past your body Write a requiem for you when you're dead She had the moves, she had the speed It went to her head She never needed anyone to get around the track But when she's on her back She had the knowledge to go into college But when she's on her back She had the knowledge Get a watch it. 
Let me tell you something weird about this song. Okay. It's an album opener. This al- this song is? Yeah. Hmm. I think that's kind of weird. It, yeah. It, it doesn't do. feel like an album opener, does it? No, it doesn't. It's more like a side closer or an album ender. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of epic. Got some mm-hmm. epic feel to yeah. it. Like, what do you... It, it feels like something hard to follow up. Yeah. And also, it doesn't feel... It doesn't have, like, a super punchy start to it, I don't think. Let me tell you... Yeah. ...why I think it's at the beginning of this Okay. ...album. Let me tell you a little bit about the time period for Bell and Sebastian Tumare. Okay. So picture this. The band has just released Tiger Milk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Their first album. Okay. But they only printed 1,000 copies of it because it was not printed. It was not done through a record company. It was done through a government-sponsored program. Like field music. Like, well, not like field music is signed to an actual record label, though. They're signed to Memphis Industries. Oh. Uh, but they were... They had a studio that was government-sponsored. Oh, right. Okay, okay. okay. But they, they are signed to a label. No, Bell and Sebastian. What it was, what they they were signed up to a kind of a work program, so you could get a you could go into this music music based work program. So you might learn some skills, like for engineering a record, or maybe working like working in a studio, or getting a job doing sound, or maybe becoming a musician yourself, or something like that. And, and you know, so it was that way to get kids who were musically orientated mm-hmm. into a, a a government sponsored works program to kind of get them off unemployment basically is the idea of it and as part of the program you got to release a single at the end of your course now oh right Stuart murdoch being Stuart murdoch Be- yes i remember this now because they practiced really really hard so that yeah. they could record the whole album in the time that it would take most people to record a- the single that's exactly what they yeah. did exactly there and so, so that's why all the songs on tiger milk are so fast it's not that they're fast as a joke it's just that they were done really quickly and they're pretty basic in terms yeah. of like tracking and stuff they're not super complicated and so the they put out the album, they put out a thousand copies of the album, and then 
uh, what the guy, one of the people who ran the chorus, is this guy named Alan Ran- Rankin, mm-hmm. who was in the the Associates in the eighties, a pretty pretty great band. Their album okay. Sulk is fantastic. Uh, he not the Association, the American band from the sixties. No, this is the Associates. Oh, okay. Yeah, Alan Rankin and I can't remember the singer's name now. Sorry, it'll come to me one day. So close, it's so on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so yeah, so he sent out like 150 copies to to major labels to to the the, the media. And it really kind of created a lot of interest for the band. And so they got attention from Sony, from BMG. Seymour Stein from Sire Records came to visit. In fact, the encounter would later be immortalized in Stuart David's song Seymour Stein on The Boy with the Arab Sta- Strap on the 1998 album. Hmm. So the album, uh, was they got about a thousand copies of it. And they were basically sold in bundles to record stores around Glasgow. Just so they could like throw them in their store window and so they could molder there. Right. Uh, which people must be really unhappy about because the co- anyone who bought a copy could later sell it for about 400 pounds. That's how valuable it became because it was such a such a rare right, album. Right, there's only a thousand of them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But most importantly, the band found supporters in popular BBC DJs John Peel mm-hmm. and Mark Radcliffe, who played the band on, on, on the air and built up a lot of interest about the band. Now, the band had previously met this guy named Mark Jones, who was forming a a record company called Jeepster Records. They met about three months before the release of Tiger Milk, and he made it very clear that he thought they had a fantastic future. Okay. And that he was very, very interested in signing them. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's the thing. The band played it cool, because he was a Londoner mm-hmm. in Glasgow. Mm. So the, And they're Glaswegian. They're Glaswegian and they're Scottish, so they played it like... They treated the English person like an English person should be treated. By, by contempt, Scottish Contempt people. and icy reserve. Yes, fair. And... They, and they're also too smart for his hyper big city BS. Mm-hmm. So they, but Stuart Murdoch knew what he wanted from a record label, which, and he was perfectly content to sign to Jeepster, even though, uh, it was, it was a small record label. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it hadn't even really started yet and it had no other band signed to it, but he was perfectly, oh, well. he was perfectly happy to sign to Jeepster. Because Jones, he was like, we can control them. But Jones felt <laughs> like there was this huge group of interest behind him. That's why he thought the band was playing it so cool, because he's kind of kind of like, well, I don't have much to offer this band, right? And they must be getting like tons of offers from better better record labels, and that's yeah. why they're they don't aren't interested in me. Mm-hmm. But he was so he was so enthusiastic that he would not let leave it alone. <laughs> so even though he felt like there was a huge pile of bands behind him, like you know, waiting to pounce on on Bell and Sebastian, he's still a bunch of like record labels, yeah, not yeah, bands. yeah, or to say bands, but yeah, yeah. A huge bunch of record labels. Sorry, it's okay. So so basically, because he was so desperate, Murder got what he wanted, which was he right. wanted. A 50-50 split mm-hmm. between the label and himself for, or the band for ownership of the album. Right. Um, he wanted a favorable publishing deal, which he got. Okay. And as Murdoch was the only writer at that point, he was the only one signed to a publishing deal. Mm. He later, uh, as the band began to grow more successful and it looked like um, the other band members could maybe quit their day jobs, mm-hmm. he split the publishing evenly between all the band members. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's very nice of him. And then he wanted the label to agree to the ba- uh, band's the, the the band's next record would come out that year because it was Murdoch's dream to have two albums by the by by the band come out in one year mm. because it was his dream that they would be on the Melody Maker and Enemy charts twice mm. in one year right and then also he he made the label agree that the band did not have to do press okay did not have to have their pictures taken and mm-hmm. shown in the press mm-hmm. and they didn't have to talk to the press why was that important to him because he didn't want they they wanted to have like a sort of mystery around the band. Oh, okay, cool. Which is super true. Like I remember reading Mojo at that time, 
when when uh, if you if you're feeling sinister came out in like the mid nineties, mid nineties, yeah, mm-hmm. and and the way that the jet the press talked about they talked about them in two two ways. Okay, one great album artist, mm-hmm. but also purposefully purpose purposefully uh, difficult, <laughs> shambolic on stage. Their live shows were a mess, mm-hmm. which is probably true because they weren't really like a professional band at that point. They had yeah. only been together a short while as a as a, as a unit. Uh, and also, and I think there was this, they're sort of angry at them because they wouldn't do the press. They wouldn't right. do the press thing. And so the press, you know, would like make fun of them for not doing the press and, you know, yeah. ha- and called them twee and all those sort of words like that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that you kind of dismiss a band with. Right. You know, but it had the opposite effect on me where it made me really interested in the band. Because you like twee things. I do like twee things. Like Wes Anderson. Like Wes Anderson. And Prefab Sprout. Prefab Sprout. Yeah. And pretty yeah. much everything I like is twee, including you, dear. It's true. It's true. And... So, yeah, that just made them seem attractive to me. So, like, as soon as I could, I went on and bought If You're Feeling Sinister. Right. You know? And, yeah. And you were like, I love shambolic, difficult, I lo- twee yeah, bands. I do. <laughs> like, this is right up my alley. Like, you're telling me... You're a, like, they're great. Acoustic guitar-based songs. <laughs> Can you push that back up onto the... I don't know why it keeps falling down. I think you're bumping into that chair. I think so. And then, yeah, so I'm super... Yeah, so I'm like, I'm I'm into this band. I'm I'm ready for this band. This sounds great. Uh, So, yeah, so so... So despite some late interest from Myland Records, the band signed with Jeepster, and as I said, a label that didn't really exist yet, except and it had only one act, Bell and Sebastian. <laughs> now Murdoch had been introduced, but see the thing is, Murdoch had been introduced to Jones and Jeepster through a series of chance encounters, and he'd had such an incredible run of luck to be where he was. Stuart Murdoch. Yeah, mm. like he had come out of out of high school with a lot of dreams. Yeah. But then he got um, chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh, okay. Which kept him in bed for like two to three years. Wow. Yeah. So he like lost a lot of his, lost a lot of his like early, like his late teens and his, oh, okay. his early twenties to, to that disease. Yeah. And so he kind of came out of the gates at a full gallop. Hmm. Like when he was feeling better suddenly, like not suddenly, but when he kind of started coming around and started feeling better, you know, he, he just had all this energy and he just wanted to like do this thing. And then suddenly he finds himself in this program mm-hmm. and he meets, you know, he meets Stuart David. Mm-hmm who's totally sympathetic to the, what he wants to do. Yeah. And they both go and approach uh, Stevie, you know who I mean, can't remember his last name, but anyway, the guitar player mm-hmm. who was like super well known in the scene. Right. And everyone, you know, and was like this kind of like super guitar player. But at that point had like gotten so frustrated with his career going nowhere as a guitar player that he quit music and never wanted to do it again. <laughs> and they were able to convince him to come back as a player. And then... And then they met Isa- Stevie Jackson. Stevie Jackson, and then they met Isabel Campbell mm-hmm. and Chris Geddes, mm-hmm. and it just kind of came together in this crazy way where it was just like working perfectly. And then here's this here's this label that he meets through a guy he met in the chorus mm-hmm. who knew another guy mm-hmm. who knew a guy mm-hmm. who knew Mark Mark Jones mm-hmm. and gets Mark Jones to come out and see them playing. Yeah, and Mark Jones loves them, mm-hmm. and of course he signed with Jeepster because you cannot. It's just such a crazy set of coincidences that get got me to this point that I'm not going to like laugh at fate. So yeah, yeah. no Although, one else had a chance. To be fair, yeah. he did uh, work very hard. Oh no, no, he did work very hard. It's not like it was like entirely chance. Oh no, it like, was not. You're right. The 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 decision that he made yeah. to be like, 
we're going to take as much advantage of this program as we can. Yeah. Like yeah. realizing how great that program was and, that and like practicing so much yeah. and like taking like being like, you know, we're going to like use this we're like studio time to do like a full album, not just a single. Like that's a great idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like the fact that he did that is so spectacular. And the fact that he was actually able to like pull it all together and yeah. like bring everyone together and get them to practice that much and like yeah. make yeah. it happen, you know? Yeah. And the fact that he had another albums with the material ready on the release of that album. Yeah. Oh, like when totally. Tiger Milk came out, he was all ready to make the next album. He had mm-hmm. all the songs there. Yeah. Like he was writing to Mark Mark Jones and he was sending him uh he was sending him like like lyrics or he's, no, he was sending him like his plan, like how he wanted okay. to record it because Mark Mark Jones was like, Well, it should take you like three weeks to record it and he's like, No, we don't need three weeks. We need eight days. Hmm. with two days off mm-hmm. and we'll have it recorded and one day is just an extra day in case we need to do any remixing mm. we're gonna have the album recorded and mixed in seven days hmm. with two days off yes so five days so five days yeah hmm. and it's a good work week huh? he sent jones the provisional running order yeah which at that time the stars of jack and field was kind of buried on the second side okay as, on the second song on the second side of the album because mm-hmm. even though it was coming out as a cd he thought of them as albums and that's how he planned them right which is another reason why they're so good because they're properly programmed <laughs> uh curiously though here's an interesting thing though mayor mm-hmm. there was a, tra- a a track called the sunday gang okay in his in one of his provisional in his set in his pr- provisional track list that was left off the album in favor of the late edition judy and the dream of horses like that song which is a great song i love that song yeah but the sunday gang was never recorded hmm. and is lost to the ages only a, tantali- a tantalizing title in this in this set list i wonder checklist i wonder why yeah it's interesting i mean maybe it wasn't good enough if you're gonna um get rid of a song in favor of another song judy and the dream of horses is a spectacular song to add yeah yeah because it's such a very good song yeah but it's just weird that it didn't show up like as a b-side on something else yeah because you know they're pretty pretty busy people uh the only thing he hadn't come up yet with yet was the name of the album Mm. which he said would come after he took pictures and had like the album image picked out okay then he would know what the album would be called right yeah so then uh is it isabel campbell on the front of it or is it someone else no it's a friend of his who also suffered from uh oh from chronic fatigue from chronic fatigue syndrome yeah yeah hmm. so he took her picture yeah included it it's sort of a, a sort of a get well gift oh that's nice yeah so murdoch wasn't sure who he wanted to produce the album at one point uh suggesting joe boyd who had produced the fairpoint fairport convention and mm-hmm. uh and Nick Drake in the 60s and R.E.M. in the 80s. He um, eventually, of course, they wanted the original engineer who'd worked on Tiger Milk, Gregor Reed, to work on this album. But he was busy uh, doing engineering for the pastels. And so, uh, and of course, they wanted to record in the same studio they used for for Tiger Milk, Sava Studios, which was kind of like a kind of a low budget studio in, in Glasgow. But. And so they just sort of randomly chose Tony but, Dugan. I mean, to be fair, Savad does just mean like, all right. That's right. Exactly. It's okay. It's okay. How, <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Sorry. How's, how's that studio? Eh, it's all right. Savad. Savad. Sounds good. Yeah. So then, uh, so they randomly chose Tony Dugan, another engineer at Savad, to work on the album. Randomly. Yeah. They just, he was hmm. there that day when they went in. And so they, he just got the job. And then they used him almost for every album ever uh, after that. Oh, wow. Uh, so in the end, the group decided to produce themselves, which... They kind of regretted after the album was done, Sorry. feeling like they just didn't have enough experience hmm. to make really good band choices. Like, like uh, yeah, Chris Geddes has said, like, like he didn't have enough confidence in himself to say to Stuart Murdoch, "Listen, enough of your strumming. 
let's do something different with our you know we can do some different instrumentation in a right. song it doesn't have to always be like acoustic guitar all the time mm-hmm. you know uh, but they just didn't have enough confidence to sort of you know suggest their own arrangements or right, right. you know or create their own parts yet or and murdoch was at that point was still sort of directing things with like an yeah. iron fist and was like well, yeah, I mean, coming with how he wanted it to sound yeah and, i mean especially when it feels like your band is formed around this one person mm-hmm. who's like having all the ideas he's making all the connections he's doing all the things yeah like you don't want to be the person who's like upsetting the apple part <laughs> yeah, right yeah yeah exactly yeah and like yeah losing this like opportunity or like ruining like, you know, ruining things yeah. for yourself or for everyone else, right? Now, this is why I think the Stars of Track and Field was moved to the f- first track on the album. Okay. Now, if you listen to Tiger Milk, mm-hmm. the song starts with a, with just Stuart Murdoch singing. Okay. And then the instruments slowly add to the song. Mm. So that's why. Stars of Track and Field starts with just him singing. Right. And the instrumentation slowly adding to the yeah. song, which is the format I love. I love when a song builds like that. I just yes, love when instruments are added. That. So that's another added bonus to the song. But then, Mary, mm-hmm. they repeat that trick for two more albums oh. so the boy with the arab strap and fold your hands child you walk like a peasant both both start with oh, okay. with an acapella section and then the song starts proper yeah so uh, now uh murdoch himself had been a member of of the track and field team at high school or his school when he was going to school okay before he got chronic fatigue syndrome so he loved to run and i think you really can get that feeling from the song like in the lyrics like his, there's like really like kind of like descriptions of of the feeling of memory, like the tactile feeling of like the description of like the blue velour and silk running, like the r- r- the shorts <laughs> that they wear yeah, or the Terry underwear. Okay. So you're wearing like these like absorbent, sub- absorbent underwear. Yeah. Uh, they really feel lived in. And then also like the description of the, the city air running past your body. Mm. Like I love that line. So yeah. Great. Great song. Yes. Great song and a great side ender. I think. What yes. do you think of it? I, I do think it's a very good song. Mm-hmm. It's not my favorite song sure. from this album. Oh, okay. That would be which, Judy and the Dream of Horses. Or Get Me Away From Here, I'm Dying. Okay, that's another I also gonna... love so much. I yeah. love that song. Yeah. Um, Sing Other People. There's lots of good songs in there, but I wanted there a, I wanted an epic song for the end oh, of this side. Oh, no, absolutely. I think it's a so, very good side ender. Yeah. And I do think it's a very good song. Yeah. 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 No, it's great. They're a great band, so of course it's great. We like them because we're weirdos. But do you like them, listeners? That's the question. Mare? Mm, yes. If say someone out there who's still listening to this show after sl- listening to it for four zillion hours mm-hmm. uh what how what ways could they possibly get in touch with us mm, i don't know you can call me i guess here's my phone number <laughs> just kidding um you can post on our website at sneakydragon.com you can email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com you can follow us on facebook at sneaky dragon or on twitter at sneaky underscore dragon um, so all of those ways you can write to us and we will see it. And some of those ways you can interact with other people. That's true. Yes. And if you go to our contacts page, contact us page on the website, mm-hmm. yes. you can find our snail mail address there yes, as well. Yes, our mailing address. So if you'd like to uh, mail us a letter. Yes. With, or some, you know. With, little, with, with carefully drawn hearts in it. Mm-hmm. Or another chicken, whatever. Send another chicken? Yeah. Please don't send livestock through the mail. <laughs> it's not safe for the for the chicken or for the person <laughs> delivering the mail. It's true. Chickens are pretty vicious. Chickens are vicious. Also, they are carriers of salmonella. These ones keep biting my toes. Well, you should wear you shouldn't wear sandals around them. Well, I'm not right now because it's quit wearing out, quit wearing your Crocs when in I the do, winter time. I don't have Crocs, and also Crocs are not open toed. Um, oh, Mary! But when I wear my sandals around them, they come up and bite my toes because I think my toes <laughs> are little berries. <laughs> shouldn't paint your toes red. <laughs> 
that's that's the problem. They're like, oh, look at those strawberries. <laughs> Nom. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, on All that right. note, I'm going to go bite Mary's toes. What? You're so, not a chicken. <laughs> oh. You're, you're, uh, you're not so chicken yourself. Hmm. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the uh, Singing Dragon Listening Party this week. Please remember to put your blanket back into its upright position. What? And, uh, take, Why would a blanket be upright? And take your mug. Well, just fold it and put it away. Don't just leave it laying around on your couch after you've been listening to the show. Okay. I assume everyone who listens to the show has a blanket that they're cuddled up in with a, with a cup, mug of hot chocolate and fair, their tea. Fair, fair. listening to the show. So put your mug away am... and fold up your blanket and put it away. Okay, that's better. Putting Put your blanket in an upright position makes no sense. Makes total sense. Everyone understood exactly what no, I meant, Mary. No, would not. Yep. Did you soak it in water and then freeze it flat, and then it's now it's standing straight up? Because that would not be very comfortable. No, but it's leaning against the couch, so it's draping down the couch. Mm. Upright. Okay. All right. So there. Okay. Mary. Fine. 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 <laughs> All right. Well, um... We have terrible time saying goodbye to people. The over now, so you can leave. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the co- coldest ending to a show. <laughs> <laughs>